Welcome to season two of Fight Together. In this series, we explore the major themes, stories, influences, and ideas in One Piece, as well as the reverberations it has made in the real world. We do not shy away from the uncomfortable. We critique and criticize, and we explore topics that polarize. We hope you listen with open minds and open hearts. This is episode six, Fascism and Tyranny. This is Fight Together, and today we're going to be talking all about fascism, tyranny, hierarchies, uh, monarchies, politics in the One Piece world, and how it compares to the real world. Uh, My name is Zach. I am one of your hosts. I'm also joined from Critical Bits, uh, Struggle Sessions, Strucci Movies. We have Shannon Strucci with us. How's it going, Shannon? Great. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, good to have you on. We have uh, the animation director for Teen Titans Go and Rick and Morty and many, many more. Uh, We have our other co-host, Brian Newton, with us. How's it going, Brian? I feel good to be here. It feels like it's been several years since we've recorded one of these. (laughs) It has not, but it feels like that, yes. Um, Just people listening. Um, We also have my co-host for the One Piece podcast, the regular show, um, if you have not heard him before on this, we have not heard him before on this show, but I'm happy to introduce Ed. How's it going, Ed? It's going all right. I'm happy to be here. Uh, it finally got one of these that's right up my, uh, up my alley. Good. I'm glad. Um, and introducing, uh, also introducing, uh, special guests this week. We have, uh, Zero, a social scientist, history buff who has written for anime feminist, ANN, Crunchyroll, also has your you also have your own blog um welcome zero how's it going um thank you um i'm doing well and thank you for inviting me yeah um and well i i want to talk a little bit uh more about uh your article that you wrote for ann uh regarding uh one piece but we'll probably do that toward the end of the show as well uh but one piece of momotaro and there's 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 a lot to unpack there as well. I'm sure we could do a whole two hour episode on that. Um, but do you want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. So um, my name is um, Zero Rec Zero One One. Um, it's short for Zero Requiem because once upon a time I was a fan of Kogeos. Uh, not as much anymore, but the name has stuck for years and that's how people mainly know me and as you mentioned before that i work as a freelance writer for um, different sites um anime femme um ann um crunchyroll um i have a lot of interest in history um, and also like talking about politics as well having um graduated from university with a degree on that uh, and i'm very excited to dissect um the political world of one piece today thank you yeah you're you're in the right place uh we also have uh paula gatos with us um she's a librarian librarian generalist i, I think is is the word you, the term you <laughs> use uh who founded the tokusatsu network uh, how's it going paula good uh I'm super glad to be on this particular episode because I get to flex a little bit of my library research 
skills. It's kind of like the nice thing about being a librarian is that I started, I got into like academic study thinking I'll be a professor in political science or a professor in history. And then I realized there wasn't one subject I was super interested in. I just was really interested in helping other people finding what topics they were like really interested in and then getting interested in that. So like got to, <laughs> I found some really amazing articles in particular with this. Um, mm. And it, one piece in particular, especially with this topic what we're talking about, actually made me reflect and talk to like my parents quite a lot about their experiences um, growing up under Marcos regime in the Philippines ah, and and things like that. So yeah, I'm really I'm thinking a lot, a lot, a rather lot about pop culture and how it deals with. Um, uh, how it's reflecting on politics and culture and reality in general. So thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no, anytime. And I think one of the, th the reasons, you know, we started um, this show in particular um, was because it's, it's such what, I mean, one piece in particular, but fiction generally, I think just has so much to draw from uh, in the real world. And sometimes, you know, we get well, lost. Good fiction. Does. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I shouldn't be too general there. Uh, but but yeah, the, it's really, you know, we don't have the opportunity going like week by week about and chapter by chapter to, to talk about this kind of stuff in depth, even though I know, Ed, you and I are both history buffs and political buffs. And like, this is all this kind of stuff we wish we could, you know, talk about more often, mm -hmm. but doesn't always have a chance to come up, especially like if chapter just involves punching and kicking right <laughs> well so there's Which so much there's, in one piece yeah there's so yeah, much there's so piece. much narrative that the larger themes you have to step back and take a look at the whole playing field to sort of see them and that can get lost in a weekly podcast but we try to bring it up but it's nice to have these spaces to talk pretty much only about that yeah, yeah. No, well, I, yeah. yeah. Can I can I read this abstract a little bit because I think it kind of like highlights in particular what were what we were touching on, and this, this the article that I found. It's a really recent one um, that came out in uh, the summer of 2020 last year. So this is a super recent article um, from the um, Global Affairs Journal. And the title is Pirates, Justice, and the Global Order in the Anime One Piece. And the abstract is, this article studies a Japanese manga One Piece, which tells the story of the pirate Monkey D. Luffy fighting the world government. One Piece deserves our attention not only because it is the most successful Japanese manga of all time, but it also reflects the dilemmas of international relations in a surprisingly elaborate manner. Being a pirate story, it ties into the intertextual milieu of what pirates stand for in popular culture, symbolizing a challenge to the established order of states, and thereby, and thereby encourages readers to critically reflect on problems in the global order. Furthermore, the story also reflects the intriguing dilemmas of order and justice that Headley Bull framed in asking, can justice in world politics in various senses be achieved only by jeopardizing the international order? By overcoming the binary metaphysics typical of Western cultural products, particularly superhero stories, 
it enables One Piece to capture these dilemmas in a subtle manner. Sounds like interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. It's such a... <laughs> One Piece in general, because of its nature, like, incredible, like, tackles themes <laughs> like this, and it really touches on, like, events in ways that I don't necessarily think well, what's brilliant Other about is just do. the yeah. What uh, what's brilliant about is even just the nature of who the characters are themselves. Correct. They're all outcasts, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the nature of the outcast is to live beyond normality and whatever that sense of normality is created. And usually, that's coming from a hierarchical structure that determines what higher what that normality is. Mm-hmm. And Luffy, in uh, particular, sort of expressly states that he wants to be pirate king, which means to him, being the person who is the most free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is right. yeah. And 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 we see at various points of the story that he also doesn't like to be pigeonholed as one type of pirate or as another. Right. Like people have ideas of what a pirate is and they're often having their ideas challenged by his actions and the actions of his crew. Totally. Yeah. yeah, and one piece the manga is great because it's so accessible. Um so many people can enjoy it for um more casual reasons, but there's also a lot um about um the real world and the politics and how it's um, in world politics relates to how systems in the real world work to a general degree. Um, it's able to make this accessible to so many readers. And that's part of the reason why one piece is so great. Mm-hmm. Also, um, do you mind at some point um, putting a link to that article? Um, Oh, totally. Yeah, later on. Yeah, I'll th- I'll throw that I'll throw that in the description as well. I as- I assume you might have to. All... I mean, it might be a, a paid article, but we can put the abstract up. I think. Yeah, I'll definitely put the abstract. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Either way, we'll probably financially support the arts, which is good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> definitely, re- definitely reach out if you are still have access to your academic library. Definitely reach out and get an inter- uh, interlibrary loan access to this article digitally. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One um, of the fr- rare ones, too. <laughs> really rare to find One Piece specific articles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it got, look, you're, we're advertising for uh, for for uh, digital libraries here. Um, oh. <laughs> you could read a lot about One I'm Piece. I'm doing um, my job right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I know, Brian, um, I don't know if you wanted to, to start us off here uh, on kind of the the journey. Sure. Of, yeah. I, I'll... I'll throw us to a topic, uh, kind of what Paula was mentioning about the, the nature of what uh, piracy, piracy means in the world of One Piece. One yeah. of our first indications of that is the fact that uh, Luffy often runs afoul of like the established order of the world, which are the Marines mm-hmm. and the world government, and how they're often portrayed in, I was I was going to say the media, but in, in, yeah. the, in the media of One <laughs> well, Piece. That's it. Well, there's also the thing, yeah. I mean, about, um, it's interesting in East Blue in particular, because the forms of government that we see there, especially in the early parts of One Piece, the Marines are sort of a, uh, th- these are Marine outposts. The Marines are seen as distant. I was thinking like, Nezumi, he comes around to the village once in a while. But right. in Kokoyashi Village, like, they were under the protection of Shanks, it, where it was at um, Orange Town, um, you know, there's an ineffectual mayor, and and a pirate is run off. You know, run off the people, and uh, for Nami's village, Arlong yeah. can just take it over with superior strength because there's no mayor, real functioning. Mayor Boodles. Yeah, there's yeah, there's no real functioning government until you get to some place like Logtown, where the Marines have a have a have a high presence. But there's really sort of a lack of 
you know, large government structures in East Blue. Uh, although well, we, see I, it, we see it in flashback with the Goa Kingdom, but they're all concentrated. So when you're out in the Anaka, that there's there's, there's nothing, actually something there's nothing Oda did brilliantly in in that early stage. I know what you're talking about. Like you don't actually hear the name World of Government. Mm-hmm. I think until after Barati, where they're talking about the uh, the warlords. Right. And, like, that's the only hint you get. He always, like, just drops little seeds about the larger working order because, like, that's when you start to have questions about the world that you're literally experiencing. I was just going to add the much less important point that it seems like everyone in the government in East Blue has a ridiculous name, like Mayor Whoopslap or Mayor Boodle. (laughs) Boodle. I'm trying to think of And all the Marines are all, like, bad and corrupt that well, you see so far yeah. oh yeah what's the name until of the, smoker smoker's per, the first was like purry purry the name of the marine guy in arlong yeah no 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 purry purry is the one who got sunk yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's got he the, r- with the ridiculous hair yeah yeah who's yeah. the first we, marine you see is it kobe's a proto marine but is it like morgan uh I think morgan. It's morgan yeah yeah helmet yeah. yeah. isn't technically a marine yet until after that arc but morgan's a really good Like a good example of the complexity of the world government, too, because, Mm -hmm. you know, the the first taste you get is someone who is using their authority to for the absolute worst, most selfish. He's got a statue of himself. He's got it. Yeah, he's building a (laughs) like it is. Oda is not, uh, you know, holding back at all and showing you this guy is a bad guy who's uh, narcissistic and and all. What I loved about. Or uh, Morgan was like he'll kill his own men for simply like either that's uh, right f- yeah flubbing a flubbing a for a mistake. I'm like I always look at when I look at like bad guy structures in uh, anime or like cartoons. I'm like okay if I mess up here maybe I'll just get reprimanded or maybe they won't give me food. If I mess up here they'll literally execute me. If I mess up over there they'll like genocide my family. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, which bad guy am I going to support yeah. at this I mean, point? Selfishness is really sort of the dividing line I think for like leaders as as Oda sees them. Like a crocodile is trying to take over a country really for his self-aggrandizement. He doesn't care about how many people he has to kill right. or who he has to step over to get there. And and, and Wapul is different because he's already in power and he feels like he is entitled to it. And therefore, anyone who does not grovel to that can be crushed and can force but you, but you. But you also get bad guys who don't have any selfishness like Lucci I'm thinking of who's just doing, you know, like the doing your job thing. I mean, it's interesting to see. I mean, uh, he, on the other hand, isn't someone in a place of authority. I guess he's um, working for Spandau. Who is <laughs> very selfish? selfish. Yes, yeah. Luchi is yeah. like the kind of the case where he's a guy that who's been born and bred to his position in the first place. He's probably been drilled into his head not to have any ego about anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. And there, there might have been a point in the past where he could have been directed in the way of good, but I don't think that was ever possible for Spawn. Mm. But yeah, I the think the authority that Lucci flexes comes from the world government itself. Mm, yeah. It's like I, a cop. He's a cop. They're, they're, it's an ACAP. Situation. Sorry, I got us way past the East Blue. But <laughs> that's my fault. Piece, though. This is all connected. I, yeah. Know. It's true. Well, what are I, to, Sorry, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead, Paul. Okay. Paul, well, Paul. What, what, <laughs> what, one of the things that, um, again, another article that I, because oh, I was looking at, especially the things that interest me the most are kind of like the psychology of. Um, you know, strongmen and mm. right. Like, what is yeah. it that like specifically motivates? Because obviously, it doesn't start out of nowhere. It's a it it when when we're talking about any kind of 
formalized um, movement um, that is inherently selfish, um, what is like the key ingredient there that really pulls everybody together? And most, and uh, I have to bring up the article again, I don't have it on me right now, bad librarian, um, <laughs> was that uh, when they're going into kind of like the psychology of um, the rise of fascism in Germany, the biggest thing that comes out of that is that it feels good. Like it is in, it is centralized in the, um, in how being part of this just in, in um in the joy and the relish and how people relish doing this it came, it came out of the pageantry it came out of the um the camaraderie that you know it gave people that sense of belonging it just feels good it's almost it's addictive in that sense so when it i sounds start like I was, I was just going to say, it sounds like you're describing nationalism, you know, that yeah, like, yeah, hyper nationalism. Correct. And that's, that's what it's growing out of. And so when I think about like, if the bottom line of the folks who want to be able to take over, they're trying to just hit, get that high over and over and over and over and over again, mm-hmm. and they will pillage and burn whoever they want to keep, um, to maintain that. It makes me think of the way Doflamingo acts. And how if he just what I how joyful and gleeful he is in what he does, um, and thinking about Wapple and how joyful and gleeful he was, yep. and just mm-hmm. like how much the villains in this, even from from the Marines to every single villain in One Piece, just how much glee like. Do you ever notice just how gleeful they all are? Oh, let's talk about the chief fascist among the Marines. If that's the case, Akainu. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the one. The man who never smiles, actually. He doesn't, he doesn't die, but he but he has such a like a clear vision of his mm-hmm. sense of justice mm-hmm. and like they they often do it's funny that they have their own sense of justice but like he's the one who's like no none of these pirates who are uh, rotten animals deserves a place in our world they need to be routed out at every opportunity and there's a car going by but that's fine because <laughs> my point's clear about how, like, how he operates as a fascist element within the one piece world yeah I mean, well, I, that's interesting in terms of like how i mean when oda the marines in particular is really interesting because they're a particular structure um, but because the Marines are an extension of the world order, the biggest injustice in One Piece is just the, ha- and the biggest secret that they're pro- like protecting is just how that world order came to be and protecting and- the secrets of whatever injustices it took for that one order to be established. So they're, it's all yeah. about us, us keeping we're- that status quo, but within that fair. space, we're- yeah. Within, to be fair, we're definitely assuming I mean, that's, that's where that's where yes. I think it's that's fair to us. It is an assumption, but it's a fair. It's a fair assumption. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> and so, and it's interesting in that this that the Marines and the World Order that's that's they're the they're the folks who just want to maintain that status quo. But there are so many complexities and layers within that, and and I I can know is probably like the most like extreme end of just trying to keep a status quo and that's it. And then you have like, all the other say, w- <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I also put Wapple in there too, that's because true, if, yes. if, Ak- 
if Akuinu represents like the person doing their job, then Wapo represents the privilege of like being born in the wealth or being yes. born into like a status. Well, I was gonna and how that corrupts. And I was gonna the dragons as well. <clears throat> sorry, sorry. Right. I don't... Um. So I mean, I was gonna add that this this feels um incredibly relevant to a lot of the. I think there's a lot of political discussion, especially in the United States, happening today about um teaching history and um you know kind of glossing over things that may make your country look bad you know or the things that it took to kind of get you into a the, the the spot that you're sitting in today literally and figuratively well it, and, it, erasing the history dis it disables you from being able to see the origin of why things are the way that they are and whether Absolutely. or not you want to participate necessarily in that for, you know, if this is something that's based on a lie or based on an injustice, you would never know. So the keeping it's in the interest of people who are in power to keep you from seeing how everything was built up. If indeed they have something to hide, which it seems like in one piece they yeah. do. What's great is that we have several characters and instances throughout the series where that's the case, not just with the world government and mm. the uh, missing history, but Doflamingo right. and the, the toys themselves. Mm -hmm. yeah, but also, that's like, that's also how, like, colonial powers operate, too. Like, when they come yeah. and, like, invade a nation or enslave people, they literally remove their history from them and they make them easier mm. to control. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also about, like, maintaining that same sense of hierarchy, those who have power, those who have history versus those who don't have the any culture or any history. Well, I mean, I didn't want to, I don't know, I thought it might it might have been a crass comparison, but I was trying to think of, like, when did I first learn that our country is based on a native genocide? Like, right. when, yeah, that, that's sort of the American... I mean, it's, know, it's less crass, but it's true, right? Yeah, it it's is. True. Yeah, yeah. And and that's what I like about Skypea. Like uh, Zach and I talk about, it, it's our favorite arc, but it's literally doing manifest destiny. Mm. Yeah, yeah. like uh, almost like when I read it in a really like obvious way, I definitely eye roll just a little bit. We're like, oh, okay, we're going here. <laughs> well, cool. uh, but to be fair, right. I, I don't think that's something you see too much in Japanese media. Like seeing your own. Mm. I, I mean, we've talked about this in the past, but it. I think one of the things that make makes one piece such an internationally um important uh and popular series is that we could see a lot of our own uh ill evils and goods in it uh both as as nations and as as actual just people um well it is definitely and, coming at it i think from a more globalist mind view uh, point of view than i think necessarily a strictly I japanese think that's point yeah obviously yeah. obviously yes. his i mean obviously his personal point of view is japanese but he's trying to look i think outside that at um you know how things are sort of you know the history of countries around the world that can be useful not necessarily just japanese history although in wano that's where he's that's where yeah, he's yes. more specific mm -hmm. about that though it is pretty interesting mm -hmm. because um in japan as in america to an extent they also have their own history with um colonialism that they mm -hmm. overlook right. or brush past when they're teaching about um modern Japan, modernizing Japan in the textbooks and in classes. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking about that Momotaro movie that Funimation released, the one from 1943, mm. and that it really it shows the other races of Asia as animals for the Japanese to control. And also, I, I saw that article a couple of days ago that came, or not a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago, that came out saying, like, was the first English language voice actor in anime a POW? And 
Probably it was because there's an English actor who plays in that Momotaro movie as an English officer late in the movie. And uh, I mean, what English people are, are they getting to voice characters in 1943 in Japan? You know, that's interesting. I, I want to look for that because <laughs> that's an interesting that. study of just about how like uh, uh, animation mm-hmm. history mm-hmm. has yeah. been produced yeah. because now we see like animation, Japan's influence over it. So ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. That's like, Oh, it's always been that way. It's like, no, for a little while, like we were like force feeding each other. Like uh, what's his face? Uh, Astro Boy creator. I can't think of his Tezuka. name. Otomo? Tezuka. Yeah, Tezuka. No, Tezuka. Yeah. Thank Tezuka. you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Highly influenced by Disney. Mm. Oh, yeah. uh, at the time. And you can see it in Kimba. And then, then we take it. Not, we don't take it back. We don't do anything. <laughs> uh, with with uh, Lion King and Simba, it's like, okay, they're being drawing from Tetsuka's influence from that as well. You're, you're copying the person who was previously copying you about something. That, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I, I, I was, I'm remiss to mention that Zero is in Japan, I think, right yes. now. Um, so that you may have a, a more unique uh, perspective on it as well. I mean, I, I think also with like, you know, since we're talking, we're kind of all over the place, which is great. Um, but the with Skypea an <laughs> Skypeans and the Shandorans, <laughs> I guess, you know, I, I didn't realize until many years later after Full Metal Alchemist, for example, yes. that um, the Ainu people were the inspirations for um, what is the name of Scar's uh Ishvalans. Yeah, they fallen. Yeah, it's fallen. It's also an Iraq war metaphor, but it's also that. Yes, I, everything's an Iraq <laughs> war also, metaphor. That's also what helps make that a great series as well. Yeah, yeah no, it's a. I, I love I love Full Metal Alchemist, but I think I, it's I, I think it's possible that Skypea also has tinges of influence in in that more local version of the uh, of that same kind of um, history because it's. It's similar, though, less, I think, um, egregious in in Japan. Yeah, almost any part of the world, every nation, every continent has had to deal with the how uh, colonial power, but not even just colonial power, just how like different technological structures, when they come to play with uh, uh, cultures and traditions that didn't, um, I don't want to say the word evolve because that's not correct. Mainly like, (laughs) yeah, development. Thank you. Yeah, that's much better way of putting yeah. it. Yeah, how diff- different development structures of culture kind of like come into play when like land resources because that's the main kind of conflict in Skypea is about land resources. Yeah, yeah. Because there yeah. was no land in the sky. Um, right. But also, I, I mean, like the, the one quote in One Piece that's ringing in my ears through this whole discussion is Do Flamingo's quote during mm-hmm. Marineford. Mm-hmm. Basically that history is written by the victors and that I Which mean, is not an original quote, but you know. No, it isn't. I <laughs> mean, the, the way I'm saying, yeah. Go the ahead. children who've never known war and children who've never known That's peace it. have different values. Like, yes, I was thinking yes. about. Great quote. Uh, with mm-hmm. stuff y'all were talking about earlier, I started reading One Piece in like 2003. So I read Water 7 when I was 14. And Frankie's speech to Robin about like no one's born guilty and the yeah. anti colonial themes yep. of Skypia. Like, I was very young. I was in middle school when I read that. That definitely, inf- I don't know if it influenced my politics necessarily, but that's probably the first time I was introduced to a an anti-colonial narrative. And I think it's clumsy and, and Oda's seeing it through his own biases and stuff. Mm. But that, I, I can't imagine if I was like 12 reading that Doflamingo speech and being introduced to those concepts for the first yeah. time. I think it's yeah. really valuable. Not that One Piece is perfect with these sorts of things, but I'm just happy that they're there and that he considers that. Mm. Oh. 
Well, one of the great things that makes his character so engaging from the worst villains to like the greatest heroes uh, is the fact that they have clear ideology. It's all about ideology. One piece is all about, sense. not yeah. to be like Jizik, but it's all about ideology. Um, it's all right. ideological so conflicts like, with every single villain in the entire series. Yeah. Yeah. Going back yeah so when, yeah. when Doflamingo had that speech, his nihilism comes in full view and you figure like that has to come from somewhere. And then later on, we do find out where right. that comes mm-hmm. from. Just to have it all and then have it all stripped away from you against your will and then become incre- inc- just incredibly bitter about it and become angry at the world. It's like a and nihilistic Jay Gatsby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Good book, by the way. <laughs> That's a good, yeah. Um, so it, I, I, going back, I think to the the function of the world government in, in the One Piece world. You know, thinking about Morgan's versus Kobe, the first two kind of outlooks as to what Marines are supposed to look like, what the Navy and what the government is supposed to look like. It's been, I think, a very interesting evolution to see. Um, you know the the place in society that government is supposed the go, the government is supposed to to fit for and how different people see it. So either through a nationalistic lens, or I guess as pirates, um, kind of as the the obstacle and the thing in the well, way. Well, there's also the differing well, differing ideologies of the pirates, and I think that goes back to yes, like yeah. Don Krieg and Captain Kuro. These are sort of mm. foundational conflicts between Luffy and other pirates as to. You know, these are pirates who don't respect their crews. They intentionally get them killed. They don't have any particular care whether they live or die. Uh, as opposed to Luffy, who believes in freedom and loyalty and protecting your crew and protecting your people. And protecting anyone who is looking for help, pretty much. Yeah, and like some pirates, like, pu- I was about to say Puggy. Buggy uh, has <laughs> uh, like puggy. the kind of like the uh, Puggy the pirate. Uh, he <laughs> has a... Uh, classical notion of what piracy is about like raiding villages collecting treasure and all that stuff Mm -hmm. but like arlong has the sensibility of a pirate where he's just like an opportunist and he will use his strength and kind of guile to like maintain a position of power and he has an ideal just similar to hody jones he has an ideology that also backs up his beliefs on what opportunism that's um, also motivated by resentment right yes Yes. it's interesting about arlong too he does care about his crew I would say. Yeah. It's been a while since I read yeah. Arlong. Vers- but I mean, way more versus, than the, the people yeah, before him. Yeah, he has him. an us versus, us versus them ideology. Yeah, but, very, yeah, very so. Yeah, versus Hody, who doesn't even care about other fishmen. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that's something we don't, you know, I, I agree with Shannon, definitely not always done perfectly, but it's something <laughs> more unique in fiction, I, I think, or I should say popular fiction, yeah. is seeing, I should, I'm correcting myself before I even say the thing. Um, is seeing grays in your villains so or even seeing like the motivating factors the gears going on uh, by showing and not telling you know this is these are the motivations as to why this person is doing this bad thing these are the mechanisms that are allowing this person to do this bad thing and that are motivating him to do that I think Arlong is such a great example of that. I think I talked about on the podcast before. Like when I when I started reading One Piece, I was like right after college for me, uh, and I was collecting the Viz volumes. The when Arlong goes on his tirade about like why humans are weak, which again also forms a little bit, and why fishmen are strong, which kind of forms into the fascistic notions as well for him. Yeah. 
he he always talks about humans can't do this. You guys are weak. You guys can't live under the ocean, blah, blah, blah. And the whole time I'm reading, I'm like, if fishmen are so great, where are they? And then not until like 400 chapters later until we get the Shabadi that they set up the fact that there is an oppressive system between the humans and fishmen when they're used as a chattel slavery in the, the auction houses, mm-hmm. how different races of one piece are viewed by uh, usually secretly by the uh, power dominating humans in this world. So I was like, I, I immediately picked up on that cue because I understand someone who feels powerless in society reaching out for power however they can, of course, going to dark means by uh, oppression and using basically using the tactics of the mm. oppressor to uh, g- gain his own sense of power and uh, a mm. place in the world. I mean, it's honestly, if you look at the no- world nobles, they're all humans as far as we can tell, and mm-hmm. they have no problem with subjugating anyone who doesn't necessarily look like them. And I mean, right. But, I mean, on the other hand, they're willing to they incorporate them. In, they're, well, they're willing to incorporate them into the system because you see, like, um, like they're giants in the Navy, for example, and stuff like that. Right. Um, yeah, they got their token members. Basically. Uh, but right. they're, willing to yeah. use, they're willing to use their power, but, you know, none of those other races become world nobles. Those, that, that never changes. The power, always, power and money always centralizes in them, and you know, if other races can be used by them, they will. But no one mm. is, they're not, they'll never be on that particular level because you can never go back 700 years and become the king of a, uh, you know, a member state, a founding state or something like that. Right. I really hope change that in that past. void. Yeah. I really hope in that void history, history, we do see the, the kings of those nations making a conscious choice, not to include the Tantata, yeah. the giants, the fishmen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be interesting. I mean, again, I kind of, well, when you're, when you're talking about Arlong and how you, it wasn't revealed until later. Why? Much later. That, much later. Um, it, it, what I like the most about that kind of narrative is that it really bring, again, it really brings that there is no, there is no clear Oda has the one piece in general has never had a one like clear cut, like in terms of motivations and stories. I mean, I think Japanese, I'm assuming I'm making a big assumption here that, mm, because this is what I find whenever I, and what draws me to Japanese pop culture in general is that there has never been like, it's not as black and white clear cut dichotomy when it comes to heroes and villains in terms of a story. It, like it's never, even if the villain can like does really horrible things there, you have a very clear understanding of what got them there. Yeah, they they understand the kind of narrative pros between uh, drama, tension, and uh, tragedy. Yeah, and and, when, and again, it makes me think about our our long in general, and that you when you are so traumatized and downtrodden, um, especially if you are essentially a minoritized identity, like it can swap very easily. Just you're gonna try to grab any any actions you can take to feel again feel good you're going to go for. Yeah. And, and like when we finally get to Fishman Island, like even if you weren't picking up on those themes immediately, Oda has to again, spell it out for you by showing that not all fishmen and merfolk are like Mm -hmm. this. The whole conflict between Jimbei's feelings and uh, uh, confronting Nami was basically to say, I'm not like Arlong. And I apologize profusely by what the path he took, but even within the flashback with him and Fisher Tiger showed that, they are still ideology compatible by how they saw their treatment under uh, 
human oppression and how fishmen were treated. Because mm-hmm. they they are literally on the same ship. And it shows how far gets, how far afield Hody went, really. Oh yeah, right. It also challenges right. it challenges the reader being like, uh, well, are you gonna be biased against all fishmen because Arlong was so bad? Also. Um, and then you get to Shaw Body and you're like, oh, they're, you know, in the, in the reverse way, you could say, oh, they were being oppressed now the whole time. And then, you know, you get, I think it, it does do a good job at, or Oda generally, I think does a good job at, at showing that these races of people can't just be painted with a, with a large brush. And that's actually interesting in the construction of Arlong Park itself in that, the Sabati Park was something that Arlong right. sort of idealized and wanted, but also hated because it represented the fact that he couldn't. He couldn't have it. Uh, and, and I'll use this to kind of get us on another topic because it's <laughs> actually fascinating. So Alabasta and Crocodile. Yes. Crocodile wants to set up a military state and using the weapons that he uh, that, that, that were long and lost buried. I have always assumed that he basically wanted to recreate the uh, – what the world government did mm-hmm. in order to gain their power and authority. Re- remaking yeah. the world. We, we, yeah. I mean, I've always had, I've long had that theory of rearranging the continents and rearranging the land masses. And, uh, I mean, people, I think a lot of people have speculated that Pluton may be related to some sort of uh, impact of like a nuclear device. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Politics of weapons we still and mass haven't, yeah. yeah, we still haven't gotten to why Innis Lobby is a never night island. I'll always throw that out there. With a, with a, bottomless waterfall and (laughs) that island has a lot of mysteries behind it i mean the whole world government does yeah i love that crocodile or sorry go ahead no i mean and it's i might i might derail this a little i'm not gonna try to but it makes me there's no way to derail (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're fine i mean it makes me think about like when we're thinking about how um when we're talking about how there's never it's never like a clear-cut dichotomy whenever we're talking about japanese storytelling and things like that um, I, I'm sure I'm not the first person to theorize this. I'm sure it's written down out there somewhere. But because Japan has one of the most unique experience of losing a world war. Right. I, I've heard this. You know, before. that they're at least yeah. able to be very cognizant about like, you know, there is, um, you know, who is it? American bad guys are always bad, but Japanese bad guys are only sometimes bad. that kind of thing and then when it comes to american like storytelling especially if they are um superheroes it's really central to our national myth that yeah we're never we always win we never lost anything ever yeah i mean there's all i mean there's also that theory don't look into that of the of the (laughs) conservatism in (laughs) um (laughs) the conservatism of american comic storytelling in which um, uh, the rest of the world comics have uh, has adapted in, in such a way, but there there's a conservatism in the the serial formatting that because of the way it's uh, formatted, like American superhero just turns more into like um, it's very clear cut because you got to keep people engaged. Yeah. You're not yeah. really like um, you're not doing things necessarily in like the way arcs do in Japanese. Um, storytelling that there's more yeah, room totally. there to have those um narratives well, it's not even just comics it's television too because yeah. television because you always have to is, is different yeah you can't especially back 50 40 years ago you can't assume that people can even find the beginning of the series it's like you always have to say pick up where you're 200 episodes in you have to be able to communicate to your audience exactly 
who your characters are and what their motivations are within the first five seconds. And I don't know about you all, but you know, for, for me, that's what really has hooked me into not just one piece, but I think Japanese storytelling generally is that, you know, it, it tells a much more complex story because I, I mean, I, I, I assume it's at least you're at least somewhat correct, Paula, that, you know, your history kind of, you know, affects your national mythos and your mm-hmm. and and even your even um how it shows up in your storytelling really quickly there's tangentially i i heard on the radio because i'm old uh about like 20 <laughs> yeah but like were you 17, listening to like your uh, one of those like old jukebox radios it, it was it was npr oh, okay. hey, that's a, that's hey a, i listen to npr too i'm also old yeah. i used to work there <laughs> yeah, briefly so am i yeah, but I was doing that in college. But <laughs> the, uh, there is a sweater that like, I just bought that says NPRAF. Okay, wear it. Okay. I like that. Own it. Mm, I'm old, but uh, the uh, there there was a story talking specifically about why uh, Japan being also the only uh, victims of uh, atomic uh, yes. bombing, and that also having a psychological condition. Now we see it reflect in media, obviously, like uh, stories like Akira. Mm-hmm. But uh, and, and Gojira, but uh, and Gojira. yes, and Gojira. Oh yeah. But uh, but like also the nature of how also the cuteness factor mm-hmm. that also came out of Japan, mm-hmm. and that where there's not a separation between like serious and cuteness, it's like all like p- kind of like a way to like defang Japanese culture. This yes. is what the, this 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 media was talking about. I, don't, I of course I'm didn't do any hit study on that, but like, that was just the thing that always stuck. Isn't with that me. like paranoia agent is a deconstruction of that kind of like cuteness. Yeah. Quite yeah. yeah. the, the whole yeah. thing. And I how, mean, it's, kinda, it's the, the darkness underlying it, you know, under the surface. Yeah. yeah. I mean that in my, in my brief moment when I thought I was going to be <laughs> researching international politics when I was an undergrad. Oh, Paula. So yuck. So naive. Um. <laughs> yeah, not not to drag the topic into like um, too further a tangent, but um, while we do praise um, Japanese storytelling for its um, tendency to be more holistic um, compared to right. other media, like you know American media at times, they also yeah. have some biases and blind sides. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, yeah. while they are very focused and concentrated on um like being introspective and being anti-war at the same time they also overlook or they tend to overlook the potential complicity that their side had in propagating the war to the first place they talk think about Mm -hmm. um, their own self-victimhood without also um, acknowledging the victimizing that they have brought about toward yeah. other countries as well. Absolutely. And to this day, like the Japanese government was trying to get a memorial to comfort women taken down in like Berlin. Oof. Like yeah. they don't want anyone to acknowledge yeah, it. I remember that. Yeah. A while ago, that's, that's there was really also a, uh, um, a, a comfort woman monument that was being set up in San Francisco. And there mm-hmm. was a lot of commotion from the hard right uh, mayor of Osaka um, saying, and ultimately revoking the cities is sister city status with san francisco over that oh, issue mm-hmm. yeah yeah well there's crazy hard right people <laughs> i, guess it's the I mean again I, I also don't want to i mean not that i want to legitimize that thing i'm like that 
uh, <laughs> I tend I tend to not describe folks as like crazy, especially if they fall into that ideology. The "You're Wrong About" podcast about losing parents to Fox News is actually a really great episode about that. Mm. Um, but I mean, I'm bringing you back here to One Piece. I'm going to read a quote from this article. Um, One Piece, like many Japanese cultural products, is not characterized by a dichotic depiction of the world. It makes it capable of it makes it capable of, of capture new makes it capable to capture nuances in dilemmas over order and justice. When we learn about the way the order is maintained in the world of One Piece, it becomes clear that at this at this and at times requires compromises. Although the story of the world is ruled by the world government, uniting kingdoms of the world for keeping peace, it had to make deals with some of the most powerful pirate lords like the seven warlords and let them rule over their own territories as sovereign rulers. Even though many of many in the Marines understood that their rules was morally appalling. So, mm, yeah. yeah, I mean, look no further than like the Ennis lobby arc. I mean, this how often in uh, manga or even most media do you actually see how the workings of a justice system is supposed to operate within this world and how that's directed mm-hmm. at your protagonist or in well. uh, in the Annie's lobby case how the justice system is a farce yeah mm-hmm. and how like uh what's his name T Bone yeah he's Captain like a very, he seems like a nice guy but also kind of an idiot like <laughs> he's like standing up for something he loves his men but it's like where does it get him and Zoro's like well like, you got to get out of my way dude. Like even people who have, yeah. uh, apart from um, like Smoker, well, Smoker's mm-hmm. obviously very conflicted, but he's not portrayed as stupid. You know, it hasn't Oda gone on record saying that Smoker Smoker's justice is a smoky justice or a <laughs> hazy, hazy justice. justice. Mm. Of course he would. But I, I, I mean, that's a perfect example of that. Is that nationalism behind the world government? Like, okay, there are good. I think to to kind of hit Paula's, uh, the, the quote Paula had is you know. Uh, there are good things, weird thing to say, there are good things the world <laughs> government has done in the past in that they were able to, we don't really know all the history, but presumably we're able to unite warring factions and bring them together, but also you're ignoring all of the really bad stuff they do. Lots of bad stuff. I mean, that's because, peace, but at what cost? Yeah. And well, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, that's what yeah. we talk about when we're talking about um, critical pedagogy or critical um, history when it comes to teaching these things is that like, what are like, we have to be able to hold both truths at the same time that in parallel right. with, Western culture of progress and um, equal rights and, you know, like independence and things like that. On top of that, it came at the same cost of taking away those exact values for other groups of people. And what I find really interesting in particular for One Piece is that even though the world government itself is is going into, is feels like a monolithic authoritarian system, in practice, especially through their policing justice system through the Marines, mm. it is not. They are, they are not a monolithic authoritarian system because every Marine governs differently in their small yeah. microcosm. Well, yeah. Yeah. Not even just the Marines, but you also have the the, the Reverend. Yeah, right? yeah. Just 20 yeah. And it's, and it's clear that Odyssey is a positive difference between a benevolent monarchy and oppressive monarchy and monarchs like Riku who want to do the best for their people or like Cobra who do or, or Dalton who ends up being I think he's elected yeah right? he was elected the, the elected king he was elected king 
Yeah. At, with as much of a one piece of yeah. So there's, I think there's like <laughs> people say yeah, yeah. I think there's only yeah. like two <laughs> examples where democracy in some form has been exercised. One is in the explicit case of Dalton becoming the king of Sakura Kingdom, renamed, and also in the Reverie itself, where the various different monarchs vote on different policies, which um, includes um, very recently the abolition of the Seven Warlord system. Yeah, Iceberg is depicted as a mayor, but we don't know how he ended up there. Mm. <laughs> Born into That's the true, mayor yeah. role, he might not I mean, have been elected. <laughs> it is one piece. I mean, I yeah. think it was because he was the most skilled mm. and powerful shipwright. So it's kind of an ol- like a oligarchy. Yeah, it could be something like <laughs> Venice, yeah, for example, where there, right? He's the Doge. The Doge, yeah. Just the leading people voted him because um, he they felt he was best for the job. Right. Yeah. Well, it's well, Venice. I, yeah. In, in, and, and to uh, Polly, uh, Paula's earlier statement, mm-hmm. uh, it is interesting because, like, the world government, it's it made those compromises. But the reason why I would say uh, it's currently seems to be failing, or failing us, as far as like readers on the the quest of the Straw Hats, mm-hmm. is the fact that it's an incomplete history. Yeah, yeah. and by by design, by by seemingly itself. And uh, there's, I mean, there's the, I don't know if, I guess it's a plutocracy, the, just the um, celestial dragons seeming to hold, and, you know, shadowy figures behind them, uh, seeming to hold the bulk of the power. I don't know how farcical the the king's power is compared, you know, like, I, it, it's oh, we, very We unclear. finally saw, like, there's a figure even behind yeah. that as exactly. well. Exactly. There's, it's so very creepy. unclear. I was so unnerved the whole set, the whole... I don't know, but like behind the reverie, that that little I'm, figure. I, that just, for some reason, that was just like a, such a dread-inducing moment for me. Yeah. So we oh, I so still. Spooky. Yeah. That did seeing seeing Emu. I think was did feel like the most dread. Like that, you feel like that undercurrent, like you feel with Blackbeard or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like oh, you're like finally seeing the the machinations that are creating the that are antagonizing all the people we care about in this series. Or what? Um, uh, what, cre- what created the journey to get the One Piece? What is the One Piece, and why is it where it is? So I think, and Emu seems to be behind. So the the general yeah. concept of like the world government um, has some merits in that if there is a world government that's encompassing um, so many different countries around the world, most or all the countries um, in the world, then that. Um, like reduces the like amount of war that would potentially start up between different countries because they're all united under the same banner. But at the same time, when the world government was established, you can see that there was like a critical flaw to it in that, you know, you have these world nobles that were set up um, and other um, shadowy figures even behind them that have unlimited power um, and unlimited privilege over things. And that's yeah. what's led to all the problems that the world government um, is undergoing today. Because uh, when it was first set up, there was set up with a critical flaw. It's like similar to the United Nations, where you imagine that you know the United Nations would be um, hoping to bring everyone together in a more like peaceful union. But at the same time, it is overshadowed by the Security Council who work out their own interests and they have unlimited like privilege to sh- uh, shut down things that they don't like I- to a certain extent. Yeah. Well, and also, I, yeah, I, I, I think the idea of like 
having you know the having no countries and having no like sectarian conflict for for lack of a better term just like not not you know having independent states with autonomy and all that but also not having to worry about the the conflict between each other is just such a utopian far you know far flung fantasy but at the same time you see okay no that doesn't really work without as you said the, the, the shadowy machinations behind it that we see. Right. Which is really well, that's interesting. That's part of the strength of yeah. Inia Slave, too, is that some of the characters you've grown to care the most about, like Robin are the and her family, are the people being crushed underneath that. So it makes mm-hmm. it much more personal to be like, as these powers are introduced, yeah. it's like, oh, that's awful, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just, I, I mean, go ahead. I, I'll say one last thing, and that the fact that it's like literally slavery um, is what <laughs> is the backbone. Like there's literally a a moving walkway on the in the capital city run by uh, enslaved individuals. Uh, there is it's just like the utmost worst thing you could think of yeah, a government that, committing. Yeah, mm. that made my stomach and turn a, so yeah, and a bridge to nowhere. Yeah, and a, yeah the bridge, bridge to, nowhere to nowhere also. That's been going on for like 600 years of construction. It's, uh, zero. I, mean, I don't know. It's scarier if it's actually a bridge to somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, yeah. You're gonna get there. Eventually. Yeah, part of the infuriating yeah. thing, of course, is the fact that it's all layered in hypocrisy because you know slavery is supposed to be um, an illegal and immoral in- enterprise throughout um, the entirety of the world government, except of course there's and they say that uh, yeah there's underground operations that are tacitly and even actively supported by key members of the world government. You know the nobles, for example, um, who not so much even using it for practical purposes, just to satisfy their own pleasure. They um, hire individuals from underground to supply them with slaves. That being said, and it's, I was just going to add one more thing. It's almost crazier because, you know, you'd think, okay, if a country is huge and the government isn't able to get to like the furthest extents of it, those furthest extents, like where the government can't reach, that's where all the terrible things are going to happen. But this is the exact opposite Mm. where the worst of the worst things happening are literally under the noses. Um, Sometimes literally under the noses of the people. uh, I mean, and it's not even just as direct and obvious as slavery. It's also just uh, poverty. If you look at like where yeah. Luffy and uh, Sabo and Ace grew up in the yeah. Grey Terminal. And there's also yeah. this um, like extra dynamic about how you know, there's more than just um, – the, there's more countries in the world than those that belong to the world government. But those countries um, do not enjoy the, posi- the protection and the privilege of like being offered the chance to join the world government because they're too poor. And mm-hmm. they have to pay a tribute, a heavenly tribute to – um, on a, like a on a regular periodic basis, in order to it's a racket. It's basically it's a it's a Dane Geld or it's basically yeah yeah it's a protection mafia. Yeah, it's a protection racket. Um, now that being said, it's not as though like the world government is like a monolith. It's not all evil as it is all good. It's just there's a lot of critical struct critical flaws in the leadership and the structure of the government that makes it. Um, that makes it um, not work as the way, for example, many of the more like morally upstanding Marines be- hope that the world government will want would be one day. And we, I think their conception of it is that we have all this power and we could 
choose to do good with mm. it. But I, I don't know if they really understand that that can't happen as long as the people who are currently at the head of the government continue to be at the yeah, government. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's more it's, it's about from, like really the inner yeah, workings of like it's yeah. like when Garp was I was watching the anime a couple of weeks ago and Garp was revealing secrets of the world in the God Valley oh, yes. incident to a group of Marines who were like oh, yeah. these are high ranking Marines they don't these are relatively high ranking Marines they don't know about any of this yeah 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 but I I think it it's really comes down there's a there's a phrase I know I'm gonna butcher it's like the evils of the status quo are just like maintaining uh without. Any sort of like radical? Goddamn! I'm not gonna. I'm. I, I think I know what you're <laughs> saying. I don't know the. Nah, it's okay. I'm, I'm pulling shit out of my well, ass now. Okay. So uh, Sh- Shannon, so, or Shannon and Paula. Paula. Um, Paula. I mean, it makes me on on the micro on the the microcosm level when we talk about like you know we we can bring it back to Water Seven and for me whatever I think about Water Seven and Ines Lobby, um, that whole. those two arcs is that you it's the microcosm of how the world government is making those is made up of that of those compromises and it all really comes down to individual rights versus the collective security and what they like to think is the collective security um because you're pushing down on you know hey let's kill this little girl (laughs) well to me it's always security Yeah, well, me, it's always like, well, this is the way we've always done things. Why change anything if it works for some people? It may not work for everyone, but like, it's the best. It we makes you offer. feel good, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, that's a well, we make some people. Yeah, exactly. Feel good. That's yeah, like, that's no, but that's the thing point. about that's the thing about Luffy yeah. is that he can't not look at those people who are being crushed and reaching right. up and asking for help and mm-hmm. say no to them. He can't. He just like if he sees somebody who is who he believes to be in the right and innocent and being trod on, he can't say no to it. That's his, that's sort of his, that's why he gets into all these adventures and scrapes that he gets into. Which is really, it, it, yeah, I mean, like, it's really go, interesting go too, yeah. because like when we're talking about, there's another article that I found that was analyzing one piece from like a world literature point of view, which is, mm-hmm. you know, obviously different from, you know, international relation, government, political science mm. point of view is that when you're taking shonen manga, most of the elements of shonen manga is, um, where, where is it? Is is your hard work? I think what they wrote. To, um, Zero, you might have to correct me on this. Do yuku, do d o r y o k u is like hard work, in which the purpose of shonen manga is the accomplishment of a goal or a dream. Ah, uh, so maybe you mean like chikata, maybe? Yeah. Chikata is power. Um, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second theme characteristic in Shonen Manga is shiori or victory and be able to, to have a victor, the narrative must contain competition and nearly all Shonen Manga deal with conflict and competition. And the third theme, and so when you have Luffy declaring his dream to be free and to be the pirate king and that pirate king means freedom for him, what you, you especially when Sharon talks about reading One Piece as when they're younger, mm-hmm. Um, especially since these, this is a title that's geared <laughs> towards a younger audience. Um, what I find really interesting is that it really fits when you're, it really just makes you, it's, it really is intro, like critical pedagogy, critical race theory, really condensed into fun comic times. Mm-hmm. And that, and in the most simplistic way, 
it's not perfect because it's the most simplistic understanding and a narrow understanding of that, mm. but it's it's more complex than probably comics, uh, probably it's contemporaries. For someone who produces narrative fiction, there's no such thing as a perfect yeah. thing. You're always <laughs> dealing with like the, like, like we were mentioning earlier, the biases of the artist or the yes. author. You're also dealing with like, yeah history changes we learn more as we go mm-hmm. forward yeah. so i can't even if i make something i believe now to be like a perfect representation of something that is i feel it's going to mm-hmm. change later when we have more information it's like oh wait clearly your limited perspective at the time could only take yeah, you when so we far. do the transgender episode i'm sure we're going to talk about that with oh, some, of the, some of the stuff of the story oh, and, stuff has changed and um the, one thing i wanted to bring up i was trying to think of the most reprehensible or flat villains in the series and like to me the world Mm. nobles are that like there are a lot of pirates that are evil but if you look at like big mom and kaido they're like interesting they're really mean but they're interesting and they're fun to watch and then you look at world nobles who just like have slaves and shoot people and um i would say they're a more they're a more shallow representation but i think Mm -hmm. it's interesting that they're they're like the highest evil in the world or all the other evil in the world in some way typically stems from them and the structure they set up yeah yeah. I was thinking that they're so far removed from their raison d'etre, like their reason for existence, mm-hmm. that they sort of have this self-propagating ideology and they don't really have to do anything to question it because their power is so entrenched mm-hmm. and that they don't have to think about why it is or for why generations not, and generations. Or why it, exactly yeah. why it might not be good. Yeah. So, you know, to them it's completely right what they do and they don't have to they don't have any conflicting thoughts. God, this and also nothing challenges yeah. them as well. Not, not, not to get too else. real, but for me, this is reminding me of January sixth a little bit. In <laughs> oh, just yeah. that there, there is no yeah. the <laughs> the fact that, that you could do something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you could that you have generations of entrenched ideology. There's no consequence to your action, and yes. that you will do anything to protect your status quo because it That's makes you feel the good. System. <laughs> Not only just that, the system also protects yes. them. Absolutely. Yeah, this, yeah they just so, they were sitting in the lobby of their hotels after. Yeah. Yeah, the, the cops just let them well, walk in. Yeah. Oh, wait, like, are we I, talking about world government or not? <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it, uh, that quote, which I'm so mad that they're not making a spinoff series with this character in it, but I was, oh, God, I was watching Enola Holmes, and I know it's based on, if I was a middle school, if I was still in middle school and I found the Enola Holmes books, I would have eaten that up, like, I would not believe. And the movie very much captures that, you know, young, idealistic, like, spunky girl ready to solve mysteries and trying to fight against her big brothers. But there is a character there um, who is, who is, Played by a black woman, and they gave and Sherlock Holmes is like they're t- she's talking to Sherlock, and you know she asks him about um, it's like you know why is it you're not interested in politics? And he's like, oh, it bores me. Like a very flippant response, like politics bores me. It doesn't matter to me. And he's like, you're not interested in politics because why would you be interested in the system that already works for you? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, bitch. <laughs> it is true. Like the, the past few years, again, not to get too real, but in America, people who choose to be apolitical, it's like, well, you can. You're fine, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. The system it, works funny, for you. Like, and even, even they, if you say it doesn't, it's just, it means it doesn't actively punish you. Yes. Yeah. I, I've encountered enough fucking idiots on Twitter where it's like, <laughs> They, not only will they, yeah, not only will they be apolitical, but they'll also choose to be ahistorical Correct. as well, mm-hmm. which just blows my goddamn mm. mind. Well, <laughs> it's this—it's a system working for you. So, like, you know, this is 
bring it back to One Piece a little bit. Um, we talked about how T Bone was this guy. I can't believe how much we're talking about T Bone. T Bone, he's so interesting. No, he's a good character. He's like the guy gets the mosquito bite and he feels bad, but then he just ends up being slammed to the ocean by Zoro because it's like, dude, you gotta no. get out of the way. But what a great example of like this is like ignorance, but also just like, but like uh, ignorance in in a good person who the system works for, who he works for the system and, you know, stands up for this thing. But then there are also people we talked about Kobe and Smoker and all of these people in the upper echelons of the system who still don't know and understand or, or a historical because they literally do not know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the, you know, with, with why the government is as powerful as it is or what brings them into the position of power that they're in. Why do they have that? You know, Kobe and Smoker and Garp and Sengoku all think that they are protecting a system that brings peace and order and stability and protects their loved ones. And, they're not wrong it completely, but well, and it's also interesting to think about with what Rayleigh said. It's about about you know you have to see it for yourself. You might come to the same conclusion or a different conclusion as we did. Absolutely, so his but ambiguity there is very interesting to me. I want to finish the sentence so it doesn't sorry, sound sorry. like I'm completely supporting the world government's actions. <laughs> um, but it's that so the, they to them it works. But they don't see the what's going on behind the curtain. They don't see the people it's hurting. And if they do, they choose to look the other way. They choose to be apolitical. In well, or, the, or, the, or the, those people are terrorists. They're bad. Well, we have or they're yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny. We haven't yet Magellan to talk about the also. the. We've yet to talk about the revolutionaries. Mm. Oh yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. Because like we've we've seen in various points of the story, we do see revolutions that happen. Alabasta being chief among them. And in a way, yeah. uh, what happens in Dressrosa once the toys get uh, disillusioned, that yeah. causes a minor revolution before uh, Doflamingo decides to clamp everything down. But there's a faction, literally, who'd be considered the the most radical versions and often has some of the more radical characters within it with uh, Ivankov and uh, uh, Izuma mm -hmm. and uh, what's-his-face, the giant in the in the skirt. Can't think of his name. Oh, right the now. guy and, in, Beto, and, and my sister in arms, Beto Belly, because we're birthday <laughs> <laughs> Well, based on that revolutionary painting, right? What was the, uh, the yeah, liberty the leading? Li liberty leading. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, tits uh, out. Yeah, but like <laughs> freedom forever. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but there's literally a system in place in One Piece that also has an, an an answer to the question. Like that's the other thing. You can't just in, in most literary things you ha you can say. Huh, is this a uh, fascist authority a problem or is this totalitarian system a problem? But then there should also be a counter right. to that because you have to address that for your I audience. guess, like, yeah. what's, what happens after you tear everything down? What's there to replace it? And there's the revolutionaries. Uh -huh. That's the answer. Well, like, hopefully they give a more complete answer anyway. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> because we haven't so seen waiting. that much yeah, of them yet. Yeah. Yeah. But but we they are very closely connected to the main protagonist and that his father is the head of the revolutionaries and that and his brother is brother. like number 2 I, I whatever chief of staff is in the revolution. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't know staff, what's happened yeah. to him since the reverie but we Who's don't know now what's happened to him. dead, hmm. but probably Maybe. is. Don't. <laughs> no, I'm sure he's dead. Not again. Nobody dies off the Yeah, no one gets off screen in one piece. But that, that yeah no that's I I mean yeah, Ace. I think <laughs> imagine Ace getting off screen oh my god um, then that then but that T-shirt with Chopper on it really makes sense because uh, they got to tell him I know <laughs> ooh, ooh, Luffy I have some bad news but 
I think I think we could have. I, I would be really interested in having this specific discussion again when the series is over and we understand the full scope of not just the revolutionaries but the government and the whole system because we are, you know, this discussion we are working with um, a fraction, albeit. A thousand plus yeah, chapters. Only a thousand chapters worth of only a thousand <laughs> chapters, and yet we know nothing. Yeah, but well, like, how many pages has Dragon even been on? It can't be very many at all. Luffy's dad like and the head. Like, is, is that like, oh, pages? How many pages mm-hmm. total has Dragon been on? Yeah. Not very many. Less than, less than, less than a full Somebody chapter. Somebody has had to less do the stats of this, right? More than my like, fingers, yeah. at least. See, I'm, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I off the top of my head, I can say he's probably appeared in like five to six chapters. Wait, so I he doubt he's been in. A total of nineteen. Pages. Okay, so and that includes when he's. It includes when he's referenced as a uh, as Luffy's father. Bet, like we see his picture, we see his face. But Boodle was yeah, on. Yeah, I'm including that. Oh, he's wearing a hood. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also including chapter zero as Whoop well. Slap was definitely in more pages than Dragon. <laughs> I think we could say that. <laughs> I'd be interested to see. <laughs> Whoop Slap's yeah. in the first chapter. That's a lot of pages. Um, yeah. like characters like Smoker, because again, something that I saw when I was very very young, and it made me think about propaganda and whatever is when they tell Smoker, hey, you're the one who beat Crocodile. And he's like, what? No, I didn't. My, my, She's crying. And they're like, no, you beat Crocodile. That's the history. That's how we're <laughs> writing it, you know? How he ends up at the end of the series, if he kind of is still trying to work yeah. with Justice or if he becomes dis- disillusioned, which I would like just as someone well, who d- doesn't like. <laughs> well, like Kuzan or someone like that. Yes, or, or like how he ends you know, yeah. uh, more in that direction. I, or how Kobe, because Kobe yeah. and Smoker are unambiguously good characters, but they're working. For, but uh, sorry, real fast, too. I wanted to bring up Bellamy, who's a pirate who is sort of similar, who has <gasps> I, he had this strong ideology, mm. but it was for the wrong person. So it's not just in the Navy, but it's mostly in the Navy that there are characters. I, like I that. imagine He's that. A reformed, of, yeah. yeah. I imagine ahead, that. He ultimately decided to accept it um, on the condition that hopefully by climbing up the ranks large enough, he'd have a bigger say in how maybe things would work in the Navy or in the Marines. Mm-hmm. Maybe because he does have that thing that uh, him and Fujitora definitely say you got to gain power before you can influence yeah. the system. We've seen Fujitora do that in action. Uh, something mm-hmm. to point out with Bellamy, which I, I, I definitely want to mention, is the fact that like – the notion of like Bellamy continued to follow someone he knew was flawed and mistaken, mm-hmm. but like the the thing about pirates versus even a government and like specifically someone like Rob Lucci is considered they there's no there's nothing there's no law keeping them within a crew. They choose to be there, and when the whole the whole like pride of the flag and the pride pride of your crew is like you make that choice and you stand by it. Uh, and then we were talking about how the world nobles themselves are so uh, detached from the, the reality that they cause. They can't. You, they almost feel blameless in a way because they don't even understand the conditions which made them. It's just like a matter of birth and a matter of a course. And that's why that that next generation do flamingo uh, Ros not is it Roswell? No, it's. The one, oh, uh, the one who goes down to Fishman Island. It's why I just thought about it. Mosgard. Mo- I think. Yeah, Mjolsgard, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's why I mean, I don't know. He's such a weird, unique character in in one. He's a Don Quixote, yeah. not a Do well, Flamingo. <laughs> wow. And and and, wow. and that's what's interesting because like pirates get to choose freedom. They get to choose how they want to live. But even the uh, world nobles don't get to choose. Well, They're uh, not free. Do Flamingo's father chose, didn't he? 
Yeah, Ooh. and 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 he, if anything, he that's why he's a great character. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a great character. And well, a I think person. I, I mean, we we <laughs> talked about like being comfortable in your status quo, being comfortable in your power. Like he's a great example of this is what you have to do. You have to be willing to give up everything you have in order to help. Sometimes, in order to help those less fortunate, you need a to be able Christian. to. You need to be able to be able to make a stand. You need to be able to speak your mind, and if that, if and and damn the consequences when you're in those positions of power, and you can't just sit there and allow other people to be hurt, um, or else you're complicit in that. I, I think that's I, I mean, kind of what that story is. Not yeah. particularly religious these days, but I do think about the Sermon on the Mount, and I think Doflamingo's father understood that it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> yeah, but he, even if that was his main uh I'm Jewish, reason so this is, for, that was new to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But even even if that was the case of why he decided to like remove himself from the noble condition, it's still a selfish reason because he's thinking about self preservation. Yeah. yeah. Well there, and, and it's funny how his two sons developed uh different ideologies based on their experiences from that as well. It's it actually it's also making me well the the talk about uh do Flamingo stepping up and the consequence stepping down and the consequences of that and how folks have reacted to him on the on the on the poor side and as well as like the folks who reacted to him on within the celestial dragons. There's another article I was reading about authoritarianism going global and how the rise of authoritarian regimes um like there is a dealing with authoritarian resurgences, resurgency, and a lot of them have like once they've established in their home, in their um, where the and there's once they've once authoritarianism has been established centrally, the way that's been able to grow and spread, I is being able to um, essentially take. It's kind of like in their toolkit to take over, like either young or developing democracies and like kind of softly push away any kind of um let me see let me read i mean there's uh, definitely a sense of opportunism there because yeah the, there's a sense of opportunism and then we're go ahead that's by young and developing that's yeah. democracies as in like ones that are are technically democracies but have a lot of problems societally like for example crime yes. and poverty and we're both Filipinos. Um, we can probably um, point uh, at the rise of Duterte in the Philippines as yes, an example. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of, unfortunately, there are a lot of examples. There it is. That. At the same well, time, authoritarian anything. regimes have become a deaf and muffling voices of democracies. Over time, Western universities, think tanks, media technology companies operating places like China, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and other Gulf states have become more integrated commercially within authoritarian systems. This has sometimes enabled these regimes to co-opt their Western partners and induce self-censorship, which is like the big key here, thereby resetting the norms of free expression through what is essentially economic coercion. So that's the phrase that essentially is like, pulling out for me, especially when we're thinking about the, the consequences of Do Flamingo's decisions to step down for being a celestial dragon. Not only was he co-opted, as, well, as much as it was a selfish reason, it might be like, oh, I have expanded my, you know, mind and I want to live more fairly, like, and and not really realizing the privilege of that, being able to do that 
and then suffering right. the immense consequences on both sides. And then, yeah, that was that was that was his failing. Uh, Homing was his father. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, this sounds a lot like the um, censorship that's been going on in some Australian universities over criticism of the China Communist Party. Yeah. Well, I was I was thinking like immediately popping into my head uh, the stuff going in and on in Russia as we speak, which mm-hmm. might not be related. All right, you know, in the you know with Navalny, um, China, and there are like there are so many examples of this happening in both burgeoning democracies and India and, and the Philippines. India. Yeah, Philippines in particular, especially if you're you know yeah, coming from. Brazil, yeah. Not necessarily personal, yeah, not necessarily like personal experience because I was way too young to do so, but in familial um, secondhand accounts and even familial uh, family memory, like co- collective memory, that's what I'm, I'm trying to say. And in, in the way that pe- and the resurgence of the Marcos family again in the Philippines mm. as a political exactly. power. Exactly. I was thinking, I was just thinking about our ancestors who fled the czar and stuff like that. Yeah. I yeah. so I yeah. And mm-hmm. I think anze- ancestral trauma and ancestral um abuse is is something that is relevant uh, you know, it's both a real world and a very present in in one piece. I think this the stuff with Don Quixote Don Quixote Homing, right? That's the full name. Yeah. Um is like an example of of that in how they were treated <laughs> after they were all murdered or most a few of them were he was murdered. Um, yeah, him and yeah, he was the only one. Well, I'm trying to. No, no, but Do Flamingo murdered him. The, but, no, the Don yeah, oh, Don Quixote right. was the mother physi- died. Yeah, was physically altercated. Yeah. <laughs> as, as like half the women in One Piece, like, oh, she got sick and died. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is a topic for another. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you need to be on the family episode. To be fair, to be fair, trauma. We did talk about it. It is scientifically proven that trauma is held in body. Like you might not have sure. your Absolutely. mind protects you, like ment- like psychically from any kind of traumatic memory, um, yeah. just to save like your headspace, and that might not always be the case. But that's in. But the physical consequence is that is that it's still stored in your body somewhere. Mm, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, there's there's been lots of studies like doing, uh, being done in this country about the stress that African American bodies express. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. and country. people of are course. feeling it now, especially in I mean, as a collect even as collective trauma. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. for the past four years, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I feel older. Year. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, right? we all do. Well, you, you are. Older. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, <laughs> like four true. times. We've all collected. Four times forty. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, to kind of address what what Ed was 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 talking about there, like for for Jews, I know there's a lot of that ancestral. I can only speak for myself here, but there's you know a lot of that ancestral trauma in how you make decisions, even on a daily basis or on you know familial basis. Like I, I know people, you know, sometimes even deciding to have, you know, children in mm-hmm. Jewish families is impacted by the Holocaust and a lot of decisions. I think a, a lot of how I think Jews live can is lo- you look back at that trauma, sometimes in good ways, well, sometimes in very bad ways. But I, I think a, it's a, interesting a, to see. Yeah. Go ahead. Brian. A small jump I can I, I want to do is the fact that not even just discussing the trauma, but also what. Uh, what led to those traumas mm-hmm. that that we've experienced uh, in Dressrosa? It's uh, 
basically Doflamingo took the opportunity to like regain quote unquote his family legacy yes. and then oust the Riku kingdom to create a new, tra- a new tragedy. Yeah. yeah. And enslave the Tentatas, but also do the same thing that was done to uh, to his immediate family, to the Riku family, by making them, scapegoating them, making them, like, outsiders and, like, uh, being hated by an entire population on that island. Mm-hmm. The Arlong, too, kind of experienced yeah. racial prejudice and then just kind of recreated yep. it out in the boonies because he was able to. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's the, it's, we're seeing, again, I, I believe, I mean, One Piece... And or rather, rather any kind of long continuous story like this, and One Piece gets to be exceptional in that because it is the longest one running. Is that <laughs> we are definitely able to see the uh, after effects of decisions made, histor- like historical decisions that were made, and mm-hmm. yeah, I th- we're going back to authoritarian like ruler like you know again the theme of this topic is fascism and tyranny and authoritarianism um above all authoritarian rulers are 100 percent again because it feels good psychologically are 100 percent preoccupied with regime survival and they study and they learn from author other authoritarian regimes because clearly it's not the first one both past and present in order to maintain their power um i'm gonna pull it's also Oh, sorry. We're I was going to pull a like, quote. Pull yeah, I was going to yeah, pull please. a quote. Um, for example, the Chinese Communist Party has scrutinized the collapse of the Soviet system in order to avoid the same fate, while Putin's Kremlin has carefully studied the durability of the Chinese system in post-Tiananmen period. In the first case, the Chinese Communist Party seeks to draw the lessons from Soviet failure, and on the second, post-Soviet Kremlin, like any number of contemporary authoritarian governments, attempts to glean what it can from China's seemingly quote, success at repressing political oppression while at the same time maintaining its economy. Uh, so there's 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 definitely that- an economic, there's the economic incentive to regime survival and there is just, you know, lessons to be learned there. I, I think- and there's also the uh, in, uh, the opportunist and uh, in, in inconsistent ideology right. working with that. And you well. see that I mean, in we- all of the villains and all, well, all, all not, I'm not going to say villains anymore. I'm going to, all the antagonists. <laughs> yeah. Some <laughs> of them are villains. So, yeah, some yeah. are villains, 100%. But all the antagonists, especially who take over um, any kind of ruling, will either want to maintain that or take over those class. There is the pattern of learning from each other. Like, I don't want, like, I don't want to. Oh, Doflamingo and Crocodile. Doflamingo and Crocodile. Assume, <laughs> There's that. I assume Crocodile enacted his plan based on what Doflamingo did. Exactly. Some, some and then even the way. Um, and vice versa. Sen- I mean, you take it with the Marines, Sengoku and Akuinu. Like, they are definitely learning from each other and what, you know, what failed and what didn't, what worked for them. Yeah. But the principle is how do they maintain that status quo? On a related note, um, and this is not to, supposed to lead to any like further conversation, I just thought it was interesting to point out, um, in cases in the real world where authoritarianism has on the rise, there's already existing like problems with society that allow authoritarians to use that opportunity to convince people to join them and support their movement. Uh, again, mm-hmm. poverty, corruption, uh, crime, etc. Um, but in the cases of Doflamingo and Crocodile, their societies seem to have already been like pretty all right. Uh, but then they orchestrate things behind the scenes to cause society to devolve, and then they throw themselves in yeah. as heroes of the people. Um, 
To well, be I, to be fair with Del Flamingo, uh, Dressrosa was poverty stricken before okay. he got there. Yeah, and he, and he basically he was making Dressrosa great mm. again. Well, <laughs> yes, but I was thinking about. I, I, I'm I'm shocked, and and Brian always tells me these things, but I'm shocked that uh, Dressrosa is so insanely relevant to this discussion. Um, I, you guys are bad mouthing that arc the entire time. I've been defending it this <laughs> whole time. Just because that arc has structural issues. It has structural like Dressrosa mm. to think it's politically. <laughs> yeah, it's right. interesting <laughs> ideas, right? Interesting ideas. So it's yeah. it's got for good conversation. Some of the best characters ideas. in the series and some of the best political ideas in it. Yeah. And one of the worst chapters in the entire It does. Worst animated, too. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, that's also true. But, like, Dressrosa and Fishman Island are structurally have issues, but I, I do agree with Brian. I think have some of the most interesting political notes. So, just on this, on this current topic, the idea is that Do Flamingo did, quote unquote, make Dressrosa great again in that he was doing under underhanded dealings with the black market the entire time um most of the you know most of what made dressrosa powerful was him being underhanded but the people in dressrosa and, f- didn't and fomenting war as well and fomenti- fomenting oh. war at for the for the nation's sorry prosperity. you reminded me what i actually wanted to say and that's that selling weapons you know I'll, yeah sorry go ahead yeah exactly this this no no it's, it's exactly that it's the selling weapons and when when you have those montages around the world there are people who are like no do flamingo fell they are the only thing that we're keeping our status quo in in state they were the only thing keeping my way of life possible what am i gonna and, do without all these guns or rather <laughs> like they already ordered a bunch of guns but they can't get or the shipment that. because do flamingo's gone and this yeah. enterprise is gone damn you luffy and then the revolutionaries <laughs> took all the guns on trust rosa yeah well okay here's right. an interesting here's another interesting thing that i'm pulling from this um article about authoritarianism going global is one of the key things about again the, the big the big motivators be able to um continue to the stability of the regime or the, the permanence of that regime and in countries where most where basic democratic rights are retaining the line there's the big rallying point in order to kind of you know demonize and it reestablish that status quo is the menace of what's quote called the color revolution um ha- so the menace yeah. of the color revolution has i don't know if you've heard of this concept this is actually going back to kiev the orange revolution yeah. victory yes victor yushenko yes and the mr and- mr Dio- mr dioxin Perfect. I and a good crew here together. Interestingly <laughs> enough, there's also the color revolution that also included the yellow revolution in the Philippines that is overthrew that the, Marcos. Is that the People's Powers Revolution? The pe- that, yeah, the People's Power Revolution was the yellow revolution. I see. Okay. So there's um, – let me Can see. you explain you- to me? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, the, 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 the people take up a banner that it's in op- opposition to the current government. Yes. They, they pick a mm-hmm. color that's not I on see. the flag. Right. I see. They're not always like the same – yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're not always also the same politically as well. They can go one way or right. another. So I mean, the, the quick Wikipedia term is worldwide media use the term color revolutions um, to describe various related movements that develop in several countries under authoritarian regime, like the former Soviet Union, the People's Republic of I China, see. the Balkans in the early 21st century. The term has been applied to a number of revolutions elsewhere, including the Middle East, the Asia-Pacific region, including the 1986 People's Power Revolution, also known as the Yellow Revolution in the Philippines. I see. Uh, I want to talk about something Shannon brought up briefly, but we, I don't think we've ever really discussed Big Mom. 
as far as like how she we've discussed Big Mom before. But so but uh, like how she kind of fits. Well, what I what I find well. interesting about Big Mom yeah. in particular because her because Whole Cake Island arc, I feel was less about was probably the most Filipino type of authoritarian <laughs> regime I can think of. <laughs> very patronage based. Totally yeah. Very patronage based yeah. and very maternal based. Mm. But. But it's also because it's not like much like the Filipino islands. Oh. It's like it's broken up, so it's harder to kind of like maintain a, a centralized power structure. There is, that way. And, you kinda, the islands have to have their own right. Economy. But at the same time, it's all connected because of family. Mm. And you know, there is nothing, cool nothing. Sh- it, yeah. yeah, there's nothing that shames you more. I mean, like I, I, <laughs> I, I am super annoyed at every Asian American like or Asian centralized story. That's based on like shame. I'm like, please pick any other motivator for goodness sake. (laughs) Tired of it. But it really does come down to like, are you going to shame your family? Like that is the, your number one key motivator on keeping your connections. And like, and that the most of your, your greatest protectors are other people in your family. That becomes a very familial, it it makes a very microcosm in terms of government because everybody's connected through who you know, who you're married to, and who you have your obligations to. Mm -hmm. I mean, Catholics and Jewish people. (laughs) We're all there (laughs) with you. Ed, Ed is both. But or neither, uh, but but yeah, I think it's especially interesting because that's like everything that One Piece excuse. You know, mm-hmm. it's like found family is, is is what this series is about. It is not about biological family usually ever, mm-hmm. and this is like the one arc where that is super important. Not just with Big Mom, but with Sanji and Juma yeah. Double Six and that yeah. whole thing. Yeah, and it, and what I like the most about that particular arc. I mean, as anybody, I think anybody who wasn't into that arc, and I hate making generalizations, but I feel like is might not have the same, I don't know, if they're not really looking into like how complex family drama is and trying, and especially when you're recovering from narcissistic and emotionally unavailable parentage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when you start bringing things up like that about childhood emotional trauma or childhood emotional neglect, like it's so clear as day in terms of Whole Cake Island when you have you're centered around the children and how they've coped within the, a toxic family system like that that has turned into a microcosm of an authoritarian like regime. <laughs> it's it's how she it's ruled how she rules. her. Yeah, uh, it's funny because like it's also one of the only arcs uh, where they don't like the Straw Hat crews don't roll through and just like kind of like ground. reinvent the yeah. wheel yeah they escape yeah. with like, their lives her, her power st- yeah her power a- among the different islands stayed in mm-hmm. place too mm-hmm. yeah because it's very, again it's very familial i mean it, it's interesting because like you know again you mentioned like the, the central like positive theme of one piece is like found family you choose the people who are there to protect you mm. and those are the same things about just for family units in general and then you get you get such a really good um flip and mirror between these two family truly family dynamics one that is healthy and chosen and gives you a lot of agency and um you you are feel seen and validated and a family that you were born into or married into that is just completely denies who you are as an individual in sacrifice of the quote greater good that is the rest of your family well but what's interesting about big mom is like there's definitely also a hierarchical structure Mm -hmm. 
and a uh, uh, authoritarian for, for sure. sure. But like, like she rules by power and fear. Mm-hmm. And even if she She's wasn't scary. related to, yeah, <laughs> even it's why it's why, to, yeah, it's why Wapple's yeah. kingdom fell and Big Mom's didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wapple ran at the first sign of danger. Exactly. But at least Big Mom, yeah. you know, will stand up for you. It's founder syndrome. <laughs> uh, That's why if once she's gone, that that that, that thing is just gonna fall apart. Yeah, it could. Be. She is gone right now, so who knows? Well, what's going on yeah. gone, but I mean, that's what uh, that's what Beige was counting on. Remove the head, right? Yeah, yeah that's what he was trying to. Well, do. what I was finding really interesting about the way Big Mom ruled is because, like, again, it really I'm like this is super Filipino in terms of like how maternal, like that, just Iron Hand maternal, um, like a uh, way you like run your family. You know, like, man, if my grandma was just a little bit more toxic, I could see her in it. I love both my grandmothers. They are like the epitome of strong women in my family. And it's like, it, it just takes us a flip of the switch to make that the worst thing in the world. Mm. And I, I mean, I also think about how, I mean, now with the resurgence again of the Marcos family as a, as a political power back in the Philippines after, you know, especially when like authoritarianism and nationalism is becoming such a big thing that Imelda Marcos is still, is now back into play. I recently saw a documentary with her and it made my stomach churn. Um, but it really uh, comes back to just that powerful woman who has a lot of privilege and a lot of influence because of familial ties and the way the Philippines as a culture has embodied um, maternal instincts, especially as a very like a strong Catholic um, co- like country due to colonialism, but still has a very strong maternal instinct. One of the... Um, essays I wrote about why the Philippines was able to have like the first dem- like first female presidents in Asia was because of the embodiment of like uh, maternal values and how much that is very, very much a part of the cultural landscape mm. that you are creating women as more of a, I, a very, very, women are very idolized in that sense, but like idolized in a very strict maternal like in ter- like your your leadership you you're a good leader if you're a good mom. I see. So basically, they're typecast, <laughs> right. is what you're saying. Yes, they're very typecast <laughs> in terms of leadership, and that's like and big mom. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> kind biggest, biggest mom you can think of, and like kind yeah. of the most toxic one. And that also comes she out does of her eat own trauma. People sometimes, yeah, so she literally like... eats people. But that's out accidentally. of like, accidentally. But it was also again because it felt good. She also yeah. eats their souls, like really. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, she's that's gluttonous. Their life's it's yeah. very, it's very gluttonous. And again, thinking about Amelda I mean, Marcos and like that, her fucking shoes. Yeah, <laughs> right. The, the whole, the whole soul eating thing is just also goes into like fantasy tropes about like the hag, the yes. witch, the, the reclusive true. old woman. Like, yeah, who's also like Medusa, same thing, all that yeah. stuff. Even though that's more Boa Hancock, but you know it's all the well, same. Well, well, bullshit. well, I mean you're you're pulling from literary tropes, and One Piece as a narrative exactly. is like yeah. full of that. Because where else are you going to put it? Why not? Well, it's also like talking about right. Catholicism and motherhood. Like Carmel is sort of coded mm-hmm. as Catholic, yeah. right? Yes, and she's a yes. sex trafficker who gets eaten. So, not sorry, not sex trafficker, child trafficker. Gosh, uh, very different uh, topic. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, but, but like. Big Mom having that kind of accidental void, even though she never found out that she was like a a child trafficker, um, trying to recreate we, that, making her own family. Her own it, some way. of that might have imprinted yes. onto her. Yeah, yeah. Right. We talk about one piece. I was, yeah. gonna, I was gonna say. I was gonna say. Go ahead, we should, 
Oh yeah, I was just gonna say, should we talk about Wano before we? Um, I feel like we should wrap up. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot in Wano too. Mm-hmm. Ed, do you want to? Did you want to start it? Sure. I think Wano is so interesting because it's sort of Oda's opportunity to be more explicitly critical of his own country as well. So I think they're a love they're letter and also. Uh, well, yeah, uh, exactly. Because yeah, Wano is like the sort of historically it's special because it's outside of the world government. It's powerful. It created the Poneglyphs and it, um, it has this uniqueness because of its closed off policy, which is an obvious reference to how Japan operated prior to like the, what, the, uh, the Meiji period, basically mm. in the opening mm. uh, by Commodore Perry. So I think there's a, you know, there's a, I mean, there's obviously a pretty direct, I think maybe they use the word Sakoku in, in the Japanese. So um, yeah, it's, <laughs> It's been taken over. I think he sort of sees it as having a somewhat idealized past and it's lost its way through sort of a lack of responsibility and a lack of sort of purpose in the world. And then linking up with Kaido, I think, is sort of a way to reach beyond that because the country has, or or, well, Orochi has, ambitions of grander power. So looking beyond the sort of closed system, working with, outside forces were evil to achieve that is sort of leading the country down the path of destruction. I think that's part of what I was trying to say here. I mean, I think Orochi fits a lot of the molds of, um, of that kind of character coming in to save the day, but accidentally destroying the day kind of that we've, that we've been uh, well, I mean, ah. Brian, I don't know. Or, he didn't set himself up as a hero no, at all. He's very much like a, a nihilist, um, maybe in the sense of like mm-hmm. Doflamingo, yeah. but he's, of course, far less clever than him. Uh, in the sense that right. in the sense that he was born in pretty like shitty straits, um, um, it, born in a, a tragic circumstance that he had no control over. But when he was given the opportunity to rise up, um, um, he used that to advance his own good, and uh, supposed to like anyone else's. And actually, that's what he has. I think what he has in common with Doflamingo, and sort of makes them two of the more mustache twirling <laughs> villain nihilists of One Piece is that they were born with extremely high status, lost it, and yeah. vowed to take it out on the world. Yeah. Yeah, revenge. Yeah, basically. Revenge is sort of the most corrosive force, I think, Oda sees as in, in his writing. Yes. Well, I'm trying to... Yeah, because even the Straw Hats themselves never enact revenge. I'm trying to think of someone, and I, I know there are examples, which is why I'm asking. Uh, if there are examples of people who were brought up in similar circumstances to Orochi, but, did, but had um, a selfless reaction instead of the vengeance and selfish reaction that you see from him. Because... You know, there has to be. I mean, I know. I don't know why. I enough. I don't know why nothing's coming into my brain. Law, maybe. Yeah, well, no, the, the, you, you have the self. Sure. No, and you also have the selflessness of the Cobra family. They had yeah. the opportunity to separate themselves from their country, join the world nobles in Marijoa, yeah. but, but they decided I, I to think, stay. Yeah. But I think where Orochi is, he's specifically this this part about his backstory is unique is the fact that. He was someone who was uh, his his family committed like a great crime, mm-hmm. and it's basically sins of the father at this point. Like Orochi didn't do anything; he was basically, "Oh, your family's been cast out because your grandfather tried to uh, commit a, a coup." Yeah, mm-hmm. Law was interesting. 
Well, it was interesting because he first was going down that path and then met someone who was really kind to him. Mm. And because of that, uh, kind of went the other way. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. uh, Ace in a way, really, because like Roger, yeah. the pirates, it's like your your dad's the worst person in the world, so you get you have to be executed as well. Mm-hmm. But Ace is a good example. Yeah, yeah, White, Whitebeard influence in his life. I mean, Whitebeard is one of the more yeah, he's one of, the, and you can see it in his goal because Odebrecht's his goal as you know he wanted to be a family, have a have a family. He wanted to be a father. Well, and that was, both and that was more important than power or anything else to it. Maybe it's a nature well, nurture thing too, because it is yeah. some parts too. Because in both uh, Doflamingo and in Orochi's cases, he met older people who convinced him who were gave super him power. evil. <laughs> yeah, like, like yeah. Treble gave Doflamingo the string fruit, and uh, what's her face, the uh, Aunt, the hag Aunt who Clay, had the, uh, as we clone called clone her. Fruit. Uh, Aunt Clay, yeah, she she gave Orochi Higurashi. Uh, Higurashi, that's it. Yes, yeah, she gave Orochi the, his uh, uh, Orochi fruit. And even though it's yeah. still kind of dubious who they were, because even he was like, I don't have any relatives. Who are you? What a coincidence that Orochi got a fruit named after him. Um, mm. <laughs> yeah, but with Wano has has a has a lot of really interesting things going on in, in both. Very environmentalist message as well. Yeah, you get it almost feels reminiscent of Miyazaki's messages um, that, that you get there, which kind of have feel like taking a back seat a little bit but at, at first is very upfront um but then also you know you had changing hands of the monarchies here the that the people all are really on uh or aren't on orochi side the whole time but and you have uh, we, destitution. We also address the whole like changing the history as well. Changing like, the history. Painting the Kazuki clan as like these great devils and monsters. I, I mean, you also have like the wheelings and dealings in the background with the world government, the smile fruits, all that stuff that, that was existent in Dressrosa. Um, yeah, making weapons. Making, making weapons. weapons. Always think, making like, weapons. I feel like that narrative of like the like Odin family being horrible would work so much better if like everyone's lives weren't as horrible to be um in the current moment like it it works for the world government because probably for the majority of the people um living under the world government's umbrella they're living relatively normal and peaceful lives so um there's no active reason for them to um like doubt whatever the world government's saying um well if anything orochi's consolidating power like only the flower capital seems to be thriving in any capacity, well, and that's also where the national, sure. where the Sakoku policy really benefits him because no, Marine, the Marines explicitly say, "Damn, they're not a member. We're not getting involved." Like, there's nobody coming for these people, so Kaido can pretty much do what he wants. Mm-hmm. And and we've seen several ind- indications that even the people directly falling under Orochi don't really believe him. They're just not going to question him because they know the the results of going against. Because like there's always whisperings going on about like his his leadership. He's like not in his right mind. People just kind of follow yeah. along. He's seeing ghosts of the past. He's not. Yeah. To be fair, he yeah. wasn't hallucinating any of those. But everyone well, thought he was. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean he had information. The whispers were there. Obviously, they don't want to like yeah. risk their necks either. So, exactly. um, well, let's talk a little bit about like the hypocrisy of his line about preserving isolationism, because it's in this case, it's kind of like isolation for thee, but not for mm. me. So, um, mm-hmm. 
they, he criticizes all day about um, the Odin family and this desire to like open up the borders of Wano, um, and that inviting disaster upon the country if it were to have happened. But as you can see, he invited foreigners in the form of Kaido to prop up his regime, and the country by and large has suffered for that. And that being said, yeah. And as Zach pointed out, he works with the world government all right, the time. Right, right. Yep. So the criticism here about um, isolationism isn't that we should return to the like past before Odin necessarily, um, because Odin himself also like Orochi wanted a like a selective sort of isolationism, one that has en just enough pores open for himself to benefit personally. Um, but um, what Odin wanted um, and what um, all his followers post his death um, are striving for now isn't a return back to the glorious past, but um, oh, like uh, uh, an opportunity to venture into the future, the future, yes, to rejoin the world. Right, we mentioned at the beginning, or the sort of globalist outlook, mm. um, and I think this is a big part of it. Well, actually, that gives me a thought about something I hadn't really considered about this arc, because uh, we're in kind of the later half middle of it, is the fact that we mentioned before how um, a Doflamingo and Crocodile are kind of like, and even Arlong, are recreating uh, the conditions of oppression that they suffered under to maintain their own, to create mm. their own power. Orochi kind of did the same. He's made his own little world government. And I even said this at the yeah. when we were reading the arc about when Odin went out and traveled around Wano, he basically did what Luffy did. He's like, I'm going to travel around the world and get some companions. Yep. Because this is the only world we know. Yep. But uh, so if anything, if Orochi is the world government, Kaido's Blackbeard, where he invited this pirate element that got in its good graces and is basically saying, nah. You're not in charge anymore. It's going to be a pirate nation now, right now. And obviously, as we've seen Blackbeard's, uh, at least the seeds of his plan, this corrupted, corrosive element that's been breathed throughout this uh, the system is what's ultimately going to bring the system mm -hmm. down. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting that Wano has kind of been a microcosm for everything else we've seen in this series, as you said. Um. And, and making the consequences of Wano. I, I mean, obviously, this is supposed to be kind of um, Oda's like o Oda's putting a lot of of stock into this arc. Um, a lot is supposed to come out of this. Obviously, at the end of the day. Um, so I, I'm curious, you know, what what that message that we started with to open Wano's borders is going to eventually how it's going to resonate. And also with all the crazy stuff going on around the world, you know, I think there it could potentially be some really interesting messages about. I I I mean, it's it's really interesting because I think all of One Piece is a love letter to the world at large, like to to getting out there and exploring and getting out. You know, kind of what we talk about on the on in the Fight Together show, getting out of your bubble getting out of um, your comfort zone, just being free and unfettered. Um, and I, I think everything Wano stands for is the opposite of that. And so to see those walls being broken down, I think um, creates some really interesting potential uh, 
uh, storylines for Wano and for the for the series at at, at large. Um, and I'm curious to see how he's gonna how he's gonna do that. Yes, that's per Odin and probably by extension Odin's vision. Um, if you don't mind me talking about it, uh, to just give you some context about like like Japanese isolationism when it yeah. first ended. It was not something that was um, that the Japanese government at the time agreed to. It was something brought upon them by force, and there was no there was no turning back at that point for the Meiji officials that eventually climbed up their way to power because they believed that if they did something like that, then um, they would just be eaten up further by the world. But they used that like progression forward not to return back to the past um as like to destructive ends to like inflict upon the world similar suffering in the form of imperialism that they themselves have suffered um and we can see that while there are similarities um between the wor world history and wano in its um own like breaking of isolationism uh, the vision that odin um would prefer um, that isolation to end is quite different. It's uh, a release from like the shackles of um, the past that have been inhibiting Wano, and a uh, like embrace of the future and the potential and the freedom that comes from opening and becoming more engaged with the world. So it's definitely, I feel, a more modern like understanding of. Or not, maybe not understanding, but a modern wish for, um, or a reflection of Oda's more modern mindset as a Japanese person um, living in this part of the world at this point in time, as opposed to like the people who um, were government officials or were revolutionaries prior to and during the Meiji period. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, I. It, interesting to hear mm -hmm. it's a lot to digest um, yeah. <laughs> yeah which is great yeah. i am i was just listening i am curious <laughs> on how the uh the people want are going to react to the notion of an open border mm. yeah uh, which would be which policy. i mean the way oda has at least written his reactions i mean that's what i'm most looking forward to because like the consequences of decisions mm -hmm, mm. as you know will continue to wave through the rest of the story because he has the room to do that mm -hmm. i feel like at um, the very least there would be some relief and some yeah. openness to change because the status quo that everyone's living in wano right now for most people is horrible and just something mm -hmm. different yeah. would be a breath of fresh air and they'd be open to something like that it would be. I mean, but yeah. what we also seen sometimes is that you know, folks who are sorry, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that was on me. That was mine. My Listen, fault. we don't understand either. Um, <laughs> but um, even thinking about um, the way folks have even reacted when, like, when you go through recovery from any sort of trauma, never linear mm. at all. Mm. Never linear. So, and it's very, very easy to backslide. Like you could be going through um, 
you could be go doing well, you are, uh, you know, focusing on change, you are embracing new things and learning new pathways, your brain is creating those pathways, you're recovering, you're feeling good. And one, it, it, any kind of reminder of that trauma and any will make you, it's so easy to just backslide through those bad habits that, or those survival um, habits that you created to cope with that. And sometimes when I see folks who are, who are say been either liberated or have in terms of, um, you know, after dealing with regimes, it's not unlike sometimes the way I see um, family members who say have escaped mm. like, or left Marcos regime. And mm. then like they have that kind of immigrant, like that kind of immigrant experience of, um, you know, I have overcome something terrible. I have overcome, and I did it with my, like I pulled myself up from my own blah, blah, blah. And then you find them becoming more conservative once they've had to, have to a point where they've actually recovered some of that. Mm. It's, it's, I want to see that nuanced reaction that I know Oda is good at doing. Mm -hmm. well, one of the things he's already seen it because uh, he seed it is with the the education of the yes. children from the school. Mm -hmm. And the other thing he's done is he's had political prisoners mm -hmm. like uh, what's his face the uh, the old man. Oh God! Oh, oh Hio, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, old man Hio. He's he was famous before the times before Orochi. Mm -hmm. So like they had a he lot can of be a voice prisoner. of Yeah, they a lot of them yeah, and then. And Kinemon and uh, I'm gonna butcher it. Momonosuke. Momonosuke. Yeah, Momonosuke. Yeah. And, God. And, and, <laughs> and Kawamatsu. And yeah. yeah and and, and I find, yeah, I find it really interesting. I mean, I want to see because I'm much just like, oh yeah, we want like we've seen what's out there, and then we we want something different. But I, I'm I'm also curious to see how folks are like. No, we want something that we remembered and what we, when mm. we were safe. If there's, you know, right. That's why you needed someone from the old times, like uh, Hio, to kind mm -hmm. of represent. Mm -hmm. Hey, it's okay. I remember old mm -hmm. Wano. You can trust. And yeah, and and I hope that yeah. be able to take that it slowly, really slowly. I feel like um, if, because folks. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just kind of closing out like the way nostalgia acts. Like nostalgia for a uh, romanticized past acts as the bomb to as a way for uh, to kind of comfort yourself, especially when you've experienced trauma and that how and that nostalgia, while helpful at the time to survive, that can backslide in a really really dangerous and toxic way, as right. we've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, zero. Yeah, Go ahead. yeah. If there's anything I could add that might um, maybe give a hint to how the people of Wano will react to like the idea of opening themselves up more to the future in a way that's like positive for like pro opening up is the fact that you know the the people that help them or are in the process of helping them throw overthrow their like oppressive like regime and replace it with something that's far more compassionate are also outsiders in the form of mm -hmm. like Luffy and Straw Hats. And if you want to make the argument as well to the minks that um, Odin invited or um, brought into as part of his entourage and now are fighting with like the revolutionaries there. Right. I think also narratively, the fact that Wano's happening kind of like quote unquote, so late in the series uh, since I guess, was it uh, uh, why the Ming Zo? Since Zo, 
Oh, does indicate the idea that because of uh, the Straw Hat's adventures and actions, there's going to be like a new dawn, a new revolution, like oh, a new order. Romance essentially. Dawn. That's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's a it's a predestination that obviously because of the uh, the uh, connection between uh, Zoe and the Minx and the Kazuki, this is something is like this is something we've mm-hmm. been waiting for. There's like there's a uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That's that there's connections that even have existed before. Like Luffy and company have entered Wano itself between the Minks and the Kozuki. Yeah. Right. Beyond like the national borders. Right. And so that's going to help ease the, the Wano populace into like accepting the conditions once everything goes down. That's mm-hmm. going to go down. I. I, I mean, there's there's still a lot of subjects we could talk about for a very long time, but I guess the one last one uh, that that I'd, I'd kind of want to touch on is just how Luffy figures into all of this, because um, Luffy has been ki- has not kind of has been that magnetic figure that everyone is drawn to through his personality. Something that could be very bad if in the wrong hands. Um, and we kind of have seen those reverse Luffy's um, in this in the series. Um, but, you know, I, I'm just curious if you guys have any final thoughts as to where you hope or where you may think that um, One Piece is going to go as far as the, the One Piece world is going to go as far as its political compass. So as far as what the world may look like at the end or what you hope it looks like or where you hope Luffy fits in all this because he's the, the thing about Luffy is he's completely uninterested in governing. Yeah, I mean that's that's the key that. that's the key thing about Luffy as a charismatic leader in that the biggest thing about Luffy is that as charismatic as he is and as rallying as he is, he is completely disinterested in the minutia of government. And he's not necessarily being strong for strong sake. He, um, his strength comes from, he's always acknowledging that his strength comes from his friends. Or is, yeah, he doesn't even want to yeah, be a hero. Or, and, and are motivated by his friends. Yeah, it's, it's not unlike sometimes, well, I mean, I'm taking it from a personal level. Like when I was running Tokenet, what was really difficult was for me, because I had come from a website that was very like, the person who was running it was very much interested in being a, you know, capital big name fan um, and kind of led through a, a, very, a very much almost a cult of personality to a point where they really made some bad decisions leadership wise and that, you know, never really uh, policed the community. And there was a lot of bad actors who were just trying to create clout um, for that. And so when I started the Tokusatsu Network, one of the big things that I really focused on was making sure that like, it is not just me. Like I have maybe have founded this place, but it, I, it no. <laughs> and I'm, I'm here just to make sure that everybody has some guidelines so that we know how to act professionally and we get the articles out that we would need to. But it made a really difficult time because most posts didn't acknowledge me as the leader because I was very adamant not to put my name out there. One, just as for my safety as a woman of color. Um, but two, so that my any accomplishment becomes the site accomplishment. It's not necessarily mine altogether. I was very cognizant about making sure it's always a team effort and to acknowledge that it's a team. Um, and in term, and not that I'm like, I'm totally like Luffy. Totally not. But it's the, <laughs> it's, it's the thing that sets him 
apart is how much his he highlights everybody else's and strengths that only adds to his own and he there's never the fact that he doesn't want to govern the fact that he doesn't take a active role in like the boring minutiae at all is makes him yeah, such a big to, foil to all the other antagonists in mm -hmm. the series and there's that's what i'm looking to forward to to how he wants to spread that power yeah has, there's the gonna end. have to be other other leaders yeah in those communities yeah. like this is what he was talking about i think um around the time he was in udon and sort of deciding you know there has to be a wano face on this action yeah and had momonosuke there and um so I, I think he's you know he looks for good people wherever he goes and those are the people he uh, works with when he's there but he's also he's also inevitably going to move on he's not gonna he's not gonna you know he's all about forward movement and even after he accomplishes his goal i i, I don't know what he'll do yeah honestly. i think i want i want to be the end game for in terms of how things are how the status quo gets changed because you know this this is a pirate story and pirates are you know essentially talks about essentially all about shaking up the world order um even if they are sanctioned <laughs> by governments and even if they are romanticized in that way that they're um that i want to see at the end of it how the world order gets shaken in a holistic way at the end of the story and how they are able to at least cope with we kind of got a, a glimpse of that in what in Roger laughing at Laftel. Mm -hmm. And that's how like the at yeah. the end the end game at all is going to bring levity to a world that is so um weighed down. Yeah. It's also why I thought Luffy would die at the end of the series for a long time. I'm less convinced of that now, but yeah. I'm like I don't understand what he would do outside of his dream. I think he would just be like I think I want to see him being I, I want to see the consequences of the people he empowered. Honestly, yeah, that's a good word. Yeah, I, I I like yeah, yeah Sorry, I was you just going to imagine that, assuming that his other friends, his, his other crews, his dreams haven't been yet fulfilled, by the time mm -hmm. everyone goes to Laugh Tale and they find One Piece and he becomes king of the pirates, he'd probably just spend his um, the rest of his days trying to help them find their dreams um, or fulfill their dreams. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. I honestly... I'm sorry. I just I'm just wanted sorry. to add just one extra thing. Um, I think the the great thing about Luffy is that um, there's no like like conscious like political agenda that you could really pin on him. And when you, for good or ill, when someone has a political agenda or they state that they have some sort of like politics behind them, it, it automatically invites a sense of cynicism, like a sense of pretension or like ulterior motives behind like whatever they're doing. But for Luffy, that's just not the case. He's just the guy who. Um, is chasing his dreams and he's calling things and throwing punches as he sees fit. And that's very inspiring for people. And it makes him a very down to earth and relatable person to a lot of folks. And it's the same for his, the rest of his crew. Too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a specific ruling. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. But well, maybe you stop a little bit, but yeah. And no. he could use, well, and then uh, like other, obviously he's not the like end to like Reese structuring the world into being a more diverse place he's just only going to be there to shaking up in in a good direction um compared to blackbeard he wants to sit in a really bad one um 
but um, people can like point like out what Luffy is like doing and saying, yeah, you know, this guy, this guy is very relatable, down to earth guy. He's right. Something needs to change. And then they can use that like his popularity yeah, I... and his example, similar to maybe how like the Marines use Garps's reputation to build up a better world, or you know, in a way that's like antithetical to what the Marines are doing right now, anyway. Yep. Well, we've talked a we talked a bit about this, but and kind of almost the edge point I never really considered is like there's no reason Luffy has to mm. stick around. Like once mm. he does what he does, he can literally disappear in the myth. I mean, this whole story has always been about myths and legends and grandiose mm -hmm. figures. Roger died to set a message, but Luffy can just disappear to also send a similar message. Not like it's a conscious choice, but like he can do and achieve the thing he set out to do and just no longer mm -hmm. be wrong. Yeah, I'm because the world Which has is kind changed. of like the uh, best way in terms of uh, how a charismatic leader steps down. I mean, we're seeing yeah, kind of what really did. Yeah, I mean we kind of we're kind of mm -hmm. seeing consequences of that whenever we get into when we do go into like uh, any kind of analysis on revolutionaries. Um, on how, uh, quote, <laughs> which is why like the American mythos is so American because the big mythos is that the greatest thing George Washington did was step down from power. La 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 la. Um, <laughs> right. And that's usually how I say that sentence. But, you know. Yeah, one hundred percent. But that's the mythos yes. that comes in. Is that mm. you, like the most charismatic I, of leaders steps down from power, and that's the best way you can do it. He's uh, he's also just pulling a George Costanza. Oh my you know, god. <laughs> Nice. I am sure that's what he's doing. I don't object to that comparison. Retire at your best moment think, of life, okay? I think it's also clear George <laughs> no, I mean, Washington. True. George Washington was also pulling a George Costanza. No way to refute that. I refuse to. The original George Costanza, <laughs> like the, George. The, the, the ancestor, the predecessor, the precursor. Wow. Now I'm wondering what. A, I'm going to be a, looking for those a, citations on those articles. <laughs> I want to see some American revolutionary. Uh, Seinfeld uh, parodies. Amazing. Um, on that note, uh, this was this was a really great discussion, and I'm sure you know. I I, I hope we could uh, reconvene when everything is said and done mm -hmm. in the far off 2065 or whatever your One Piece ends um, to to kind of talk about a lot of these things again. Because I I have a feeling that a lot of things may look. I, I well, first off, our opinions literally are going to. Uh, reflect the times that we're in today Absolutely. and versus in the future. But also, I, I am curious how a lot of these things are going to resolve, as as we said. So there's there's a lot out there. Um, but before we go, I, I want to give everyone here thanks. Uh, Zero, where where can people find you and, and your work? Oh, I see. So um, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, uh, I'm Z E R O. R E Q zero one one zero rec zero one one. You can like follow me and my words and my articles whenever I decide to start writing and posting again. I've just been very busy lately, <laughs> um, and I also have a blog. Um, therefore, it is dot wordpress dot com. Uh, again, hopefully, I'll get to be writing again in the future. I've just been very busy, but. Um, I, I like writing. I want to pursue more writing, and I hope that people could like read it and take something interesting or inspiring off of it. And that's just my my dream, I guess. Yeah, there we go. That's what that's what One Piece is all about. That's what we're all about here. Mm -hmm. uh, if you haven't checked uh, Zero's article, "History of Momotaro in One Piece's Wano Country Arc," 
uh, please do. It's on his blog and also on ANN. The full um, version's on ANN. ANN. Definitely. The, okay. Oh, I, I thought the full version was on. Oh, no, you're right. Okay. So full version's on ANN. Um, so check that Anime out News if, Network, if you haven't. For those who oh, know. thank right. you. Uh, Paula, where, where can people find you and your work? Um, I am Paula Gatos, G-A-E-T-O-S on Twitter. Um, I am also in uh, very active in the library Twitter sphere, if you ever follow hashtag library Twitter. Um, and I'm just you know, your local fandom librarian on Twitter. <laughs> and you can also follow the Tokusatsu Network at the Tokenet, even though I am not the... I am not active on Token anymore. It is something that I'm completely always proud of and always proud to see what they're doing for Japanese sci-fi and tokusatsu and just really fun Japanese pop culture. I need to get more into tokusatsu, but that is again. Let me know what you want to watch. There's so I could you could probably have an episode <laughs> about One Piece and Tokusatsu in particular and invite Joey Wiser. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, been, I, we've yeah for days. I've been trying to get we, to Tokusatsu. A... It's just a little hard for me. Yeah, it just it, like like all things media, and I recommend this again as a librarian who does a lot of um, uh, readers' advisory. It it's honestly just finding the thing that already resonates with you anyway, mm -hmm. and then going that route. You see, I'm positive, not to get too far on a tangent, I'm positive I would love it, but I am one of those people who will watch a thing like Seinfeld that they've watched 8,000 times <laughs> instead of watching a new thing that I would almost definitely enjoy. It and just, it's very hard to get out of that. It takes time. And you just need a yeah. name. I'll <laughs> I'll get, I'll, we'll I'll find one, there. I promise. I need someone like Ed to push me there, which speaking of, <laughs> I'll, I'll go to Ed. Where could people find you? Sure. Uh, check me out on Twitter, Edward E. One Piece. And I'm also at Weeb Trailers. Check out some old anime trailers from the early days of English anime on DVD. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Ed, also for coming on the show. Absolutely. Um, this is a lot weird, of fun. Weird to say, since he's always on the, the, the main show. <laughs> uh, Sh Shannon, where could people find you and your work? You can find me on Twitter at Plenty of Alcos. On YouTube, if you look up Struchy Movies or Fake Friends Parasocial. And Struggle Session is at Struggle Sesh. And Critical Bits is at Critical Bitcast on Twitter. Uh, and Brian, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Dark King Zoro, all one word. Uh, check out Teen Titans Go Rick and Morty if you want. Uh, Tig and Seek is a show on HBO. I worked on that. Everything I do is apparently corporate. Uh, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. Oh, and the Animation Success Stories podcast, the podcast I uh, we do where we talk to industry professionals about how they got into the industry. Uh, what were their inspirations, trials, tribulations they want to go into? And if you just have any general questions about what it takes to work in the industry, nah, we're one outlet for that. Uh, th yeah, thanks, Paul and Zero and Ed for yeah, thank talking with us. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Yeah. It was fun. Well, I, I want to add, though, Brian also did something not corporate. You you finished your straw hat drawings recently, um, <laughs> which people right. should check out. Um, I love that. I'm, I'm, I'm considering what the next set's going to be. Maybe I'll do like allies and. Uh, or antagonists. Uh, <laughs> to be fair to the villains. I don't know if I want to do antagonists. Anyway, why? Uh, if anything, I do want to do like this, this Grand Straw Hat fleet and maybe hey, allies that hey, they've encountered. So cool. like Law Kid. Yeah, those are Gang, because I love, I love Gang. Yeah, if you haven't checked those, the, I love I love those drawings from Brian. So check those out. Um, I'll, I'll round off here. You can follow me at Zach underscore Logan. Uh, we Fight Together now has its own feeds on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, amongst others. 
please check that out. Subscribe if you can. Or you know what? Subscribe even if you can't. Figure it out. Um, it's it's very easy. You can find it where you can find all your good podcasts. Um, it will also still and continues to be on the main One Piece podcast feed. We just thought that having an additional feed may make it a little easier to listen to all the episodes. Um, so we'll see you next time for an all new episode of Fight Together. But until then, my name is Zach, and we'll see you later. Goodbye, everyone. Right. Take care. Bye. 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 Later. Together